Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. Is it interesting one making the Irish Times actually regarding the uh, President Michael D. Higgins? You you may or may not be aware, but there are um, services and uh, commemoration events in Northern Ireland planned to take place next month. And it will mark the 100 years since the partition of Ireland and the creation of Northern Ireland. And President Michael D. Higgins, according to the uh, DUP anyway, who are quoted in the Irish Times this morning, is snubbing the event. I think it might be a difficult one for the President to attend considering that we're not all that impressed with the partition of our country in the first place. So um, he hasn't given a reason and he doesn't have to give a reason. He just says that he would not be present and he wasn't available. Um, so that's an interesting one. It'd be good to get your thoughts actually on that as to whether the present president should go. Say, for instance, there's one particular one, the service of reflection in Armagh next month, which will mark the 100 years since the partition of the island of Ireland. Should he or should he not attend? Text 0868104. 106 on that one. But the red tops this morning are dominated uh, by late night drinking laws that could well uh, change in the not too distant future because you have a lot of government ministers, including the arts minister, Catherine uh, Martin, who said that it should definitely happen, whereby pubs uh, will be open till four in the morning and nightclubs could be open till six in the morning. To headline story making the mirror this morning, crack of dawn, they call it. New laws to allow all night drinking and dancing next year. Your thoughts on that are welcome, incidentally. Saturday night fever is a front page story with uh, the minister's head imposed on John Travolta's body because the Republicans want 5 a.m. closing as well. Uh, not 4 a.m., but 5 a.m. They hope you know, we're past the peak of the Delta virus and it's time to get back to where we were and to drive on, they're saying. Uh, what is it now, like half past 11 and then half past 12 in the summertime or at weekends and things? What do you think of that? Text 0868104106. Simon Coveney has survived uh, the doll motion of no confidence against him. That's in all of the papers. In fact, the echo this morning leads with it, while Owen English in the Examiner says that uh, we're probably going to lose the America's Cup now, Ireland. It's not a case of just Cork not getting it, but it's a case of Ireland not getting it at all because the organisers have to make a call on it pretty fast and the government who rejected Cork um, say that they need another six months to analyse whether it's worth spending the 150 million so I say that one has gone west but some events that are not of course is uh, we know of we know of Garth Brooks playing Dublin and the examiner this morning tells us that Springsteen is set to play Dublin but more importantly uh, the boss is also going to play Cork and that's penciled in for another gig uh, on Leaside next year at some stage um, the Chief Garda's Chief Superintendent Barry Mipola makes the echo today as well he was at the uh, uh, the recent joint policing committee uh, why? well to update the state of play in our city and our suburbs and um we can mark it with an increase in sexual assaults across divisions in Cork. We can mark it with an increase of drug possessions and drug seizures, uh, which is bad, bad news. And, you know, these are the areas that you want to see numbers dropping. But unfortunately, they just don't. Wouldn't there have been a time when the East Village uh, Centre in, in Douglas, which would be, you know, the apartments, all of the offices, all of the different shops, the hotel, the bars... There would have been a time when that would have sold for like 50, 60, 70 million, maybe even more. But it went under the hammer this week for something in and around 11 
uh, million. Um, it's on the site, you know it if you know the area. It's the site of the old Piper's Fun Fair, the old Mary's there. Uh, but there was a time back in the crazy days of the Celtic Tiger when you could have thrown another knot on that, I'd say. Papers also this morning talk about the haves and the have-nots. So you have a, a centre selling for 11 million and then you have a photograph of a three-year-old homeless girl eating her dinner from a plastic container on the side of the street in Dublin. That's the reality of those that who um, just don't have enough money to put a roof over their heads or food on the pay- on the on the table. Uh, I mentioned this yesterday. We'll come back to it in a few minutes' time. And this is baby John, uh, who was exhumed recently down in Cahir-Savine from his resting place because the Gardaí want, you know, DNA samples have been provided by locals door-to-door way back along. Uh, and DNA t- technology has got a lot better. So uh, they exhumed baby John again, the Kerry baby, um, and uh, this uh, interesting story is making the papers today. And I will re- return to that story in a few minutes' time and, uh, you know, retell the story of Joanne Hayes um, and all her family, uh, the Kerry babies, the two different babies, the discovery of baby John and White Strand. So more on that to come. Uh, also, the papers say that if you like to go for a drive and you like to turn up music, then you need to listen to Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. By all accounts, it's been voted the best song to listen to on a car journey. I would have thought that Bohemian Rhapsody would have you waving your hands in the air, pretending you're an opera star or something. I can't imagine that would be the most safe song. But it pushed out Dancing Queen into second place, so that can't be a bad thing. And according to Cork Bio, they have found the cheapest pint of Guinness in Ireland. And it's Helen's Bar in Kilmacalogue in the county of Kerry, where a pint of Guinness is €3.90. I wonder, could we find the cheapest pint of stout or even the cheapest pint on Lee side, we could have some some fun with that actually. So get involved. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Do you know what the latest TikTok trend is? Well, it's called Bean Bandits, and in the UK now, shopkeepers are being urged not to sell tins of baked beans to children. Here on Lee side, for years it was trays of eggs, but the latest trend now is selling baked beans to children, who then empty the baked beans from the cans on doorsteps of people's homes. And of course, they film it. They think it's great crack. And one that we mentioned yesterday was the misfortune who got paid his wages 355 euro in five cent coins. All the papers pick up on that. I'll come back to it a little later on this morning because he had to lug it home on the bus. Logged it home on the bus. Uh, the, the, the pub restaurant involved, uh, which apparently is a place called Alfie's on South William Street, uh, said that they have nothing to say on the matter. It's private. And they asked the reporter to leave the premises. Anyway, lines open at 1850 If you're listening to Breakfast this morning, you're talking about Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody. You're talking about Bruce Springsteen. And you're talking about Garth Brooks. There was a funny little clip this morning that I have for you where Laura mistook Billy Joel for bo- both uh, Billy Joel for Bruce Springsteen could happen to a bishop, it could happen to the Pope, could happen to me. You know, you just get brain freezes. This is Laura this morning, uh, mistaking Billy Joel for Bruce Springsteen. Uh, yeah, loves Bruce Springsteen. Never, not like uh, I love the big ones, all the big hits, but I wouldn't be, yeah. um, I wouldn't be like a, an album or a huge, you know, the. Oh, I wouldn't know any of his niche hits. Is he the We Didn't Start the Fire? Is that him? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. That's that. him. Yeah, yeah. You got okay. it in one, Laura. Well done, Laura. Laura, <laughs> man, everybody. Hello, Laura. Thank you. Big fan Ooh. of the boss. <laughs> <laughs> that song's gonna be in my head now all day. That's, that's that's him. Yeah, the same guy. Up to, up, Is it not him? No, up, uptown girl. Yeah, uh, that's him. Yeah, yeah. No, stop it! Are you messing with me? It's no, not we're not him. messing. No, you got it right. You got it absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Brilliant. <laughs> 
Even in the face of mortification, she managed to laugh her way through it. Keep on laughing, kid. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Just very quickly, lads. Uh, I was talking recently on the air about, um, you know, the, the different, the podcast initially on the unsolved murder of uh, Sophie Toscana Plantia and then the two documentaries that went to air regarding it. And there was a complete, there was a whole generation, perhaps more than one generation of people who knew nothing of what happened back in 1996 uh, down in West Cork. And they were absolutely infatuated by the case. And there's an awful lot of people who perhaps weren't around or were very small back then who are now very interested and involved and, you know, you know in, in engaging in what happened down in West Cork. And of course, we have that story back in the news very much these days because uh, Ian Bailey is, is quite talkative. But there was another case. This is from 1984. And I think the same will happen with this. It's the case of the Kerry baby. Uh, it's an unsolved mystery. Um, and it led on then to grotesque questioning at the Kerry Baby Tribunal of Joanne Hayes. Now, for those of you that remember it, and I remember it vividly, I mean, very much so, um, back in 1984 and the tribunal itself in, in 1985. But for many people, I imagine, they know nothing about it. Uh, it, was, it was a different Ireland back in the day, but uh, one journalist who covered that story extensively and indeed wrote for many different publications in Ireland down through the years is Michael O'Regan. He wrote for the Kerryman, the Irish Times, the Independent, uh, the, the Star. In fact, he was editor of some of those publications and he joins me by phone. Michael, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. It's, it's I think editor, uh, that was my co-author, Gerard Collardon, actually. Oh, he, correct. He was my co-author and he edited the Star in later years. Good man yeah. yourself. But you certainly wrote for many different publications. Oh, yeah, I, I, he myself, we wrote extensively over the years on it. Um, <laughs> absolutely, you did. And... For those, Michael, who know very little or nothing about it, in fact, one of the articles you say that, it would, you know, the Kerry Baby's case would be unlikely to happen today. But what happened back then? Talk people through it as if they're hearing about it for the first time. Well, what happened, Neil, was a very, very tragic case. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the body of a baby was found in April 1984 in a very scenic place called the White Strand in Carrasaveen in South Kerry. And the baby had been stabbed several times. So pretty horrific killing. Uh, obviously, a guard investigation got underway. Now, in the meantime, uh, in North Kerry, um, the other side of the county, uh, a young woman called Joan Hayes had uh, given birth uh, to a baby. And through a long process, uh, she was wrongly charged with the murder of the Cahar Savine baby, mm. or became known as the Cahar Savine baby. And, of course, that set off a chain of events where you had the case dismissed uh, against herself and the family uh, in Tralee uh, Court. And then you had a public tribunal set up in 1985, uh, uh, which, you know, yielded a very, very controversial report by a High Court judge. Years later, of course, a state apology to the Hayes family and compensation. And uh, the Hayes family had absolutely nothing to do with the, uh, the killing of a baby whose body was found in the White Strand in Carsby. Now, that, that needs to be stressed, Neil, because it was a confusing case. They had absolutely nothing to do with it. State apology, compensation. They were an innocent family, done down uh, by the organs of this state. Uh, but the killer of the Carsavine baby was never found. Uh, however, with um, a more sophisticated DNA, uh, um, you know, over the decades, 
uh, clearly there's a possibility now that uh, some headway may, may be made into the investigation into the killing of the Carasaveen baby. Yes, and little John is buried in Carasaveen, small little headstone. And recently he was, he was exhumed, his remains were exhumed to get more DNA. Was that the case? Yes, that's right. <clears throat> and of course, um, it, 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 like it, you were saying earlier that it was a very different environment, and certainly was in 1984. Bear in mind, in that Ireland, there was no divorce, no gay rights. Uh, the church was still a very, very, uh, you know, strong institution. Um, it was still a very patriarchal society. But side by side with that, uh, Garda uh, investigating techniques and DNA uh, were, uh, you know, n- nothing like they are today. Uh, so I, I, that's the reason the remains were exhumed. Uh, and this may lead, the Gardaí seem to think this may lead them to something. Now, of course, we await developments. It's a long, long time ago. It, it's a, it, was, um, it was a killing that cast a pall of gloom over South Kerry at the time. Uh, scenically beautiful, you know, very popular with tourists in the summer, etc., etc. Mm. But this, uh, this created a pall of gloom. And, you know, that gloom, I suppose, won't lift fully until this tragic case is resolved. I am... Um I have a house in Port McGee, so I live a lot of the year down there. Of course, that's adjacent to Carsevine. And from time to time, I do try and broach the subject with friends down there, particularly in Carsevine, and they just don't want to talk about it. They don't, no. Uh, and the same applies, by the way, to North Kerry, uh, Abidorney, where his family are a highly respected, very well-liked family. Uh, people in that area don't want to talk about the tribunal. Uh, it's history. It was a bad, bad chapter in Irish social history uh, and they've drawn a line from it. The same people don't know and I think it's understandable that they don't because um, when you think about it uh, the killing of an infant in such a brutal fashion uh, was appalling and did lead to a sense of horror and everything else locally uh, and I can understand why people want don't want to talk publicly about it and certainly don't want to talk to the media about it. Mm. I mean, I was reading some recent articles of yours, actually. You wrote one back in 2018 that kind of recapped on a lot of it because for those that may not know, um, Joanne Hayes was pregnant. She did give birth in a field, isn't that right? Um, and, uh, and, and then went to Tralee Hospital where a gynecologist asked her if she had a child. Is that what alerted the Gardaí, do you think? Yes, that's what would have alerted the Gardaí. Uh, and... Uh, Then, inexplicably, uh, confessions emerged, of course, which uh, 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 related to the killing and concealment of the Cahar-Savine baby. Couldn't possibly have happened. Uh, Different blood types. uh, Indeed, indeed. There was blood type, precisely the blood types didn't add up. So, uh, yeah, it was an unfortunate coincidence of events, I suppose, uh, that led... Uh, to the Hayes family before the courts uh, on the cars of being uh, And they had absolutely nothing to do with it. It, it was a series of events, uh, sad events that came together. Uh, and of course, the, a lot of people would have thought that the tribunal, uh, that the judge's report in the tribunal was very inadequate. Uh, years later, of course, it was repudiated uh, with the apology to the Hayes family and uh, eventually compensation. But it took the Hayes family a long, long time mm. to deal mm. to get justice. Mm. 
You know, there was at one stage where the Gardaí were advancing a theory of a thing called super fecundation. Uh, what's that? Super fecundation was where you had two children with two different fathers. At the same time, uh, in your womb. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this was advanced by some of the Gardaí at the tribunal. And uh, it was it was discussed at the tribunal that, uh, but uh, I don't think it went anywhere, you know. Were you at uh, the tribunal, Michael? Was that open to I the public? I was indeed. I covered the 82 days of it. And then wrote a book with Gerard Collin on it. So, uh, and she spent 14 hours over five time. days in the witness box, didn't she? I mean, gripping she a was. religious medal and crying all the time. Yeah, she was given a very, very rough time uh, under cross-examination by senior counsel called Martin Kennedy. And uh, so, you know, she broke down on the witness stand and all that kind of thing. And actually... The repercussions went all the way to the Dáil because uh, the Dáil Women's Affairs Committee uh, was sitting at the time and you had TDs like Mary O'Rourke uh, and the late Monica Barnes who expressed, and indeed uh, some of the real TDs, expressed uh, grave concern about the line of questioning at the tribunal. It was compared uh, to a medieval... Yeah, well, it was compared to a medieval witch hunt you wrote where b- the victims were burned yeah, at the stake. Yeah, actually... Actually, that phrase was used by Bradley Kennelly, uh, uh, Kerryman himself from Lord Kerry, uh, who was then professor uh, of English in Trinity College. And uh, uh, Brendan uh, used that phrase, which I quoted him on. And uh, I think it summed it up. It's hard to take in, Neil, um, the Ireland in ways of 1985 when that tribunal sat. Uh, We had... Rather, I think naively in retrospect, thought those of us young and around at the time that Ireland had made great progress on social issues and all that since the 1960s. But if you examine it, it hadn't. Bear in mind, this was two years after that very, very bruising 1983 abortion referendum. You had uh, the Grenard case. Mm. Uh, you know, you had... Um, you're the sacking of Eileen Flynn in Wexford. She was a school teacher. She was living with a, a separated man locally. Good God. Uh, so you had a whole series of events. And there was no contraception available, sure there wasn't? There was no contraception, uh, no, uh, no gay rights, no divorce. It's, it's, it was a very different Ireland to what we have today. And uh, it, it was an Ireland as well, steeped in patriarchy. And that emerges, actually, if you look at the detail of the tribunal and the cross-examination and all that, it was steeped in patriarchy. And uh, women's rights, really, superficially they had in terms of equal pay in that. But Ireland had a long way to go before there was equality between men and women. Yes, indeed. It was a family that were very quiet and very private and probably lived in fear of perhaps the church and more to the point, the guards that led to the graphic confessions of how, I mean, for some bizarre reason, they signed confessions saying how uh, the baby was killed with a kitchen knife and bashed with a bath brush. Um, These confessions, of course, were completely and utterly false, but they must have been in awful fear. Well, it's never been fully explained where these confessions emerged from. And it... In the report of the tribunal, Mr. Justice Kevin Lynch's report to the tri- in the tribunal, he was the High Court judge who presided. Uh, he didn't deal adequately with um, that matter, and uh, so uh, and there it lay. By the way, after the 
tribunal report, which came in late 1985, they requested for years. And years. Until, and years. Uh, there was this apology, state apology, and ultimately compensation for the Hayes family, and above all, most important for the Hayes' vindication. Have you met her, Michael? Spoken with her? No, I haven't met Joanne since 1985. Mm. Uh, I um, absolutely met her at the tribunal. Uh, the last time I met her, actually, was in late 1985 when the report was issued and some books, including the one Jodrick Collard and myself wrote, Dark Secrets. Were published. Uh, yeah, Dark Secrets. Um, Gay Byrne had an item on the Late Late Show and I was on it with others, and she was on it. And I spoke to her briefly at that time, I think, and I haven't seen her since, sir. nor have I seen any member of the Hayes family. I believe that um, she has lived a very quiet, dignified life uh, in uh, Abbey Dorney, as do other members of the family, and she has kept her privacy to herself. Over the years, Neil, I had people from London, and journalists from London and America and elsewhere, ringing me up, and asking me if, if it would be possible to speak to, if I thought it would be possible to speak to Joanne Hayes. And I said, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think she's giving interviews. Yeah. I always referred them to her solicitor and truly, Pat Mann, yeah. who inevitably said to them, and I, I told them this in advance, she won't give any interviews. Yeah. So she has, she has retained, in, the fa- in fairness to her, that dignifying silence, uh, despite the difficult years while she awaited vindication. Which took so long to come. Is your so book, long. the book you wrote with Jared Collar and Dark Secrets, is that still available, Michael? I'm not sure, uh, uh, Neil. Yeah. I, I, maybe it's available in libraries now, but it would be out of print at this stage. Um, there was talk some years ago of uh, it being published again, uh, perhaps, but uh, it's very it's relevant. It's very relevant again now. It is. Well, very relevant. I mean, it's relevant as a case history of Irish society in the 1980s, um, when inexplicably now in retrospect, we thought we had made huge advances as a society. In fact, we hadn't. And do you think that no. baby John's mother is, is, is still alive and has spent many, many years grieving and mourning? Have you any thoughts on that? Well, the Gardaí seem to think there's a possibility of that. And uh, obviously, if she is, it's you know she's had some terrible times, but um, I think the Gardaí have handled it well. They've made a perhaps a plea for you know people and information to come forward. Uh, it remains to be seen what happens now. Well, what but, would uh, happen, Michael, if if say she, if say she did? Would she not be subject to prosecution then? Do you think? Well, that I don't know. I, I mean, it will depend on the circumstances, the attitude the Gardaí took, the yeah. circumstances of the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we simply don't know, you see. We we have no idea. We have no idea who the killer was, uh, you know. So uh, we're into a very, very grey area there. It, it, circumstances would have to, uh, would yield some kind of result there. But um, I, th- I think as well um, that what you have now is perhaps a more sophisticated guard uh, investigating mechanism than you might have had in the 1980s. Yeah. You know, uh, not least in the area, as I said earlier, of DNA and that, but also investigation techniques and, you know, whatever psychological services might be required of people in difficult circumstances. But again, Neil, that's all an imponderable. Yes. We don't know. All all we know right now is that the body was exhumed and uh, tests made and 
That's really as far as it goes. But what, what is quite astonishing is that almost four decades on, uh, you know, this tragic case is still making news. And for some time to come. Michael, thank you so much for taking the call, sharing the story with us. I do appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you so much. Michael O'Regan, as I say, uh, author of a book that um, is very relevant again now. One would think that maybe it could uh, be published again with maybe some updates in it. He wrote the book with uh, his co-author, Jared Colloran, who I think now is editing the Kerry Eye. It's called Dark Secrets. It's a book about the case and indeed the 82-day Kerry Babies Tribunal. Lines are open on one 850 You can text 0868-104-106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And you can text 0868-104-106. Thank you, Eddie. He says, regarding the Kerry Babies, as far as I can remember, the media hounded Joanne Hayes and the people objected and protested at her treatment by the media. You are absolutely right. Many, many column inches were written in all of the newspapers for months and months and months and months. And many magazines of course called also covered the case at the time and long lens photographers and what have you and they were really uh, put in an awful situation where they had to batten down the hatches I mean Joanne Hayes did have a baby um, uh, had her own baby who was she was pregnant she was um, pregnant by uh, another another man a married man at the time they'd already had one child together a little toddler and I'm just reading from some updates in the independent and she was raising the toddler but she became pregnant with her lover's second child and she gave birth to that child at home but the baby was either stillborn or died shortly after birth and that baby was buried on the family farm and um, you know during cross-examination by the guardie she said I did have a baby I had my own baby I was pregnant the baby died I can take you to where the baby is buried and the guards didn't follow up on it they just didn't want to know it was only later some days later when the family actually uh, produced the baby uh, Joanne's baby that everything started to take a turn then and uh, you know uh, it was just it was just an absolute catastrophe they then started theorizing that oh yeah but you could have given birth to twins by two different fathers they were saying that kind of thing when the blood groups of the two babies didn't match i mean it was absolutely bizarre it really was and while some might say that the Kerry babies would be unlikely to happen today, you know, we still need to clean up our act in some issues regarding women. Like women in rape cases still get asked very inappropriate questions uh, in court, I think. So we have a lot. We still have a little bit to go on that. But anyway, your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on one 850 A lot of texts and calls from uh, yesterday's program that have been followed up by emails and texts and what have you. And, uh, I want to get uh, into that. If I just maybe do a couple of them, I'll talk to Helena then. But, you know, we were talking about hospitality yesterday and how there's uh, an ever-increasing amount of rude people, they say, uh, who are just being rude or aggressive or calling staff members' names. There's interesting conversations on that yesterday. Here are some texts. Dealing with the public is a thankless job. I was in hospitality business for years. The public feel they own you particularly if they're regular customers. Most people are nice, but it only takes a few toxic people to make your life so difficult in hospitality. John says, can't go on air because my head is about to explode. The worst people in the hospitality industry are the owners, the chefs, and the management of a lot of these places because they treat their staff servers horribly and they give them minimum pay. I looked online for a waiting job last week, hoping wages might have improved. 
but worse, 11 euro an hour and tips averaging, averaging 3 euro an hour. So that's 14 euro an hour. Using tips to bring up your hourly rate is a disgrace. Hospitality, my ass. Morning, Neil. This is Ireland, not America. They get well paid compared to staff in bars and restaurants in the USA, where in the USA they get four or five, five dollars an hour. Tipping is not normal in most European countries. France, Belgium, Holland, Germany. It's an American thing that crept into Ireland. I thought tipping is at your discretion, not compulsory. People work hard and pay high taxes and a dinner out should not have to come with compulsory tipping. What if service is crap? Does that mean you pay less for the food now? They still charge the same amount. Um, she, people need to realise that tipping is not compulsory, says Brendan. No, no, it's not. And I think if the meal is bad and the service is bad, or if you have rude wait staff, then you're not obliged to tip. But in America, the four dollars an hour they get wages is very much beefed up by big, big tips. I mean, massive tips. You know, it's it's pretty much law there now that it's fifteen percent or indeed more. In America, it hasn't taken lockdown or COVID to encounter rudeness, Neil, and entitlement. I worked in the health service for 40 years and crossed paths with many nationalities. The rudeness and entitlement of foreigners, many of whom were holidaying in the country, was unbelievable, I found. Uh, We were in the Dean Hotel for dinner Monday night and there was three of us. We left a 20 euro tip. It was excellent, says Anne. Haven't been there yet. Love to get in there at some stage because I'm hearing great things about it. So well done. Glad it was a great night. Anyway, back to the lines we go. Helena, good morning. Hi, good morning. Was, it you, was it you had, uh, was it a toothache or something like that? It was, it was just, I was just making an appointment for, for the dentist and um, I'm a medical card holder, so yep. I was just, you know, just trying to make an appointment uh, to which I was told that, uh, no, the dentist wouldn't be accepting medical card holders at all at the moment, um, that they, they're not really making much off of medical cards at the moment, but they were still willing to go ahead and make the appointment for me if it was, you know, if I was a cash customer. If you're a cash or card. Yeah, just, yeah, exactly. So I just think it's very unfair. I don't know, is this the normal? Is this the norm? Are they allowed to do that? Or well, let's, let me start? just ask you that. Is that the new norm we're talking about now? Or was it all, like, how does it work? You know, when you have a GP uh, and yeah. you have a medical card, you stay with that GP. Is it not the same with the dentist, no? Um, I, I don't think so. I think you can kind of, you know, it, it depends on, well, for me, in my case now, I had to shop around to see what dentist would accept a medical card, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I just think, like, it's very unfair, you know? I mean, like, for a consultation in the first place, I think it's, like, about 50 euros anyway. And I think, you, like, the medical card doesn't even cover a whole pu- whole pile anyway, you know? What do they get the, from the state for a medical card patient? I don't, I'm not too sure, but it's it's obviously not, not much. And they're choosing cash customers over, you know, medical card holders at the moment. So I just think it's very, very unfair. Did you say that to whomever answered the phone? Oh, I did actually. Um, I said, all oh, right, I said, uh, would there be any chance I'd probably be reimbursed maybe down the line? And uh, she said, no, no. So um, I just, you know, I just find it kind of very wrong. Do you make all the, did you make other calls after, do you make other calls after that? Um, I did, I did, and I found a dentist that would take the medical card. So, um, and it was actually a dentist I'd been to before as well. So maybe it's just the fact that I was on their file or something. And I did you know. say it to that dentist uh, that there were others refusing? 
I did, I did, and um, there was nothing really said. Like, it was actually just a girl at the, in the office I spoke to, so, you know, there wasn't really much made of it, like. Did she actually say to you that the did. dentist isn't making much money from the medical card yeah, she did, she did. That's why I was kind of livid, so I started texting into the radio station. Good then, God. You know? I mean, it's discrimination, uh, isn't it? Why sign up? Why sign up to the medical card scheme if you're not going to take patients? Class distinction. It is, yeah, totally. I mean, what's the point in holding a medical card if you can't even use it? Does it happen with doctors? I wonder. I was going to ask it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The doctors are doing it as well. With a long time, I I actually I was waiting um, two years to get a medical card in the first place because I couldn't find a doctor that would accept me on their panel. So in the end, I actually had to write to the HSE and I finally got a doctor in my, my area. But um, I had to wait two years for that. Well, I do see signs up at doctor's surgery saying that oh, we are full. We don't, we're not taking any new medical card patients. Yeah, you know, and I can understand that too. I know that they have a lot of, you know, a lot of patients and whatever to be dealing with. Like, But I mean, we all, we all need to avail of the service, you know. And I just, I think that just because you're a medical card holder doesn't make you any different, you know? Is there a Hippocratic Oath for dentists, I wonder? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I just thought it was very wrong, you know? And I hope that they're not doing it to everybody out there, like, because it is very unfair. Like, gonna they're f- going to spend a lot of money in the dentist anyway. I'm going to find know, out. Medical card, yeah, it doesn't cover a lot, like, so it's just wrong. You know? Yeah, I need to find out how much a dentist actually makes on the medical card scheme, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, well, it's obviously not worth their while anyway, I, I'm being told at the moment, so... Oh, I see an article here from The Independent that says that... Uh, it said that five dentists earned €300,000 each in fees from tax uh, payers. And medical cards in one year alone, and that was like ten years ago. Eight hundred and five yeah. dentists were paid out fifty nine million in total. Well, yeah. So it's big money well, to be made. Now. I don't know why they're turning it away. So it is. So why are they turning it away? I don't know. I don't know. And like they were still able to take the appointment, so it's not that you know they're like piled up with people either. If they were still able to take my money from me, you know. Okay, Let, let's see if we can get a response from a dentist on this. I think I see a text just saying the reason that dentists stop taking medical cards is due to the extra costs of PPE with regards to COVID. There's no profit in it anymore. For God's sake, PPE! Should they have to use that? They should be using that anyway all along, you know, even before COVID. Uh, it's discrimination like, at the same time, though. Let's see if we can get is. a response from a dentist who can, uh, you know, tell us the good reasons yeah. as to why. Um, it's not the. This isn't the first time I've heard something like this, and it isn't the first time that I've heard the same being said about doctors. I think there are yeah. still some doctors that um, only do telephone appointments. Still, did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah. See, the world has just gone mad altogether, isn't it? Okay, let's come back to that and see if we can get other thoughts on it, other calls and texts. But anyway, the tooth is right now, is it? Well, no, I have an appointment now set for next week, so it's all in good time. (laughs) I'll just wait. All in good time. All right, girl, look after yourself. Thanks, Selena. Thanks for taking the call. Cheers, no, you're very good. Very good. Uh, Text-wise, I've been asked by... Listen, if you have a comment on that, do text 086-8104-106. I've been asked by two different people if they can borrow my COVID cert so I can go into a restaurant. Uh, Would never complain in a restaurant myself and never blame the staff, as usually it's not their fault. But I have noticed that food in some restaurants hasn't been as good as before the pandemic. I think this is because they're using up food that has been frozen since they kept from being closed down. I don't know about that. Dessert menus are nearly non-existent 
or there are frozen desserts now. No fresh desserts seems to be on the menu. I think maybe restaurants are not full at capacity and they're afraid of having waste. I understand that, but the restaurant experience isn't as good as before the pandemic. I d- thank you. I don't know that it mean a moment to correction here. I don't know if it's um, has anything to do with using up frozen food or anything. I think it's just down to staff. I mean, it, it, there's a fierce shortage of chefs and an awful shortage of kitchen staff and indeed wait staff as well. In fact, yesterday, after my conversation with, um, you know, a couple of people on the air, including Orla uh, down in Tralee, um, uh, we started to get uh, texts from restaurants and pubs who are actually looking for staff. So I, I will come back to that uh, a little later on this morning. But I ran out of time yesterday morning because I had promised I would go back to Grania because the day before yesterday, she told a lovely story of incredible weight loss and she'd set herself a goal of being able to sing with a brass band or a jazz band if I could find one. And she gave a rendition of a Creedence Clearwater revival song just to prove that she can sing. And she can sing. She's a damn good crooner. So we did a bit of work off air and we are now in a position position to deliver. So, Grania, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Not only did we find you one brass band, but we actually found you two different bands. One is the Barrack Street Band. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I was talking to Billy the other evening. Yeah, that's right. And the other is in the Toman Bar over the jazz where the Roaring Forties will be playing. Oh, really? Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, my God. I'm shocked. You've got a lot of practicing to do, right? I know, right. I know, yeah. Uh, do you know what, though? I'm one of those people that just sings during the day anyway. Even my kids are like, oh my God, she's singing again. Ah, she's singing on the shower now or on yeah, the kitchen. Yeah, and their dad is going, I've had like 15 years of this, lads. You've a long way to go, yeah. Uh, well, I think you're going to have to up your game because this is different with a brass band and the oh, timing yeah. and everything. Hold on there a second. We've got Billy O'Callaghan from the Barrack Street Band. Billy, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm very good. Listen, thank you so much for coming up with uh, the Barrack Street Band as a place for her to sing. Have you, have you had a listen to her? I did. Um, I listened back to your podcast as I didn't hear the show the other morning and she passes the test and was flying colours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How have things been with the Barrack Street Band? I'd say you haven't been doing much over the last year and a half, have you? Um, no, hey, you're, you're right. Um, we, we locked down on the, I think the 12th of March was the actual government lockdown. We had a rehearsal plan for the following night and we just cancelled. Um, I think we've done two National Day commemorations since the kind of buglers and drums, three people, social instance. And they no no rehearsals, no performances, and um, we did, however, have a lot of activity with our uh, kind of after school progression program for, for I suppose secondary school children. Yeah, a lot of, about eighty percent of them did engage online with their tutors, which was fantastic. So you kept it going yeah. online, yeah. How many is in yeah. the Barrack Street Band, Billy? Well, pre-COVID, Neil, I suppose. The schools programs that we engage with in partnership with Music Generation Cork City and that we'd probably be hitting numbers in the region of 140 floating upwards and downwards. Wow. Um, but so, like, we have a lot of rebuilding to do now, I think, from the primary schools because there's been no recruitment for two, two seasons now. And you know, with the 140, how many of those would actually get into the marching band? Well, Patrick's Day, um, I suppose, if you look back in the last few Patrick's Days, anybody that would have seen us, we'd have out the... Um, the senior band would be out that day, the youth band would be out, the junior band and maybe some of the training band might be marching behind and also you'll have members of the Mahan community, concert band who are an emerging band in the Mahan area. So there could be 120 in, 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 that, in that particular procession, an average in the last four or five years. And Camille, are you back um, rehearsing now? Can she go to a rehearsal? How, how are we going to make this work? Um, well, we, are, we kind of 
came back about three weeks ago, Neil, outdoors in a canopy in Cloche, in Monreach. They were very kind to facilitate that for us. But to be, to be quite honest with you, I'm not sure if we can continue with that after tonight or tomorrow night. We're doing um, um, an open rehearsal that's been streamed live as well. And we have some bookings, which are closed now, for an open rehearsal for the culture night. But I, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to continue with that, with the weather and the dark nights and that. But look, we most definitely will, as soon as we can, possibly um, touch base with Grania and select music and find a suitable okay. music, uh, performance. Okay. And is it, is it Grania, is it, is it going to be Proud Mary you're going to do or what? Um, well, I need to talk to Billy. That's what we were saying the other night when we spoke. We need to just find, do the old Venn diagram, you know, do what he knows and do what I know. And hopefully there'll be some sort of an overlap in the middle, you know, and we'll find something. All right. So that, that is will suit everybody, that is most know, definitely going to happen. So with yeah, the Barry like Street I want band. to make sure because he was saying with his younger musicians and stuff like that, you know, we need to make sure we have the music and the sheet music and all the rest. And so when all that's done, you know, then all we need to do yeah. is find a venue and a gig. But I have a venue for you to play with the Roaring Forties. Ray oh Kennedy owns the Toman Bar. Joins me by phone. Ray, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? Good, my man. Long time no see. How are you? I'm very good. I, I, I agree, as man says. Battling on. Fair play like to you. So, good news regarding the jazz, then, Ray? Yeah, I, I was actually thrilled, thrilled because we were kind of holding our breath, and I suppose to a certain degree we still are. And so it's kind of funny. Then the other day, that this whole coincidence, uh, the, the we'd read a fan inside, and the girls were hearing this, and I was just literally forming up, trying to get bands and stuff for the jazz again coming <laughs> up. And I was working on George at, at the Roaring Forties, and I don't know. I, I said at the end of the day, let's try and make somebody's day a bit happier. <laughs> and is George up for it? He's up for it, is he? George is up for it, yeah. I was at the him. I said to be a bit cheeky, you know me, you know, to be kind of a getting in touch with you. And I said, George is going, and George came back with his usual answer, cool. So I said, so, Grinder, you better be cool. I'll, I'll do my very, very best. Have you spoken to the Roaring Forties, Grania? Not yet, no, okay. but I can pass, I can, you can pass my number on to George or I can yeah. give him a buzz whenever okay. it's easier. Because if I know George, he'll want you to do a lot more than just one song. <laughs> <laughs> you have one one. Yeah. Anyway, listen, that's sorted anyway, Gronya, which is that's great. Unreal. All right. That so is absolutely you, unreal. Thank you, you so you much. You need to I'm stay in touch. No, I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm glad I did. Absolutely. As the fellas, what is it? You, I think you said that a dumb priest never gets a parish. That's, that's my mom's one. A dumb priest never got a parish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, I'm delighted for you. No doubt we will be talking again. You'll be Fantastic. doing your practicing and your rehearsals, Fantastic. and all will be well. Fantastic. Brilliant stuff. Thank you so much, everybody. Look after yourself, girl. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. Talk Billy, thanks so Bye. much. Thank you so much, Billy. Thanks, it's, uh, it's fantastic. And uh, do stay in touch for when you're back again and when you're playing and doing your business. All right? Most certainly will. Cheers. Okay, take care, Billy. And and Ray, it's good to be back, isn't it? After all of the messing over the last year and a half and what have you. It really That's is. great. When, 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 when we're talking about the Jazz Weekend now, you can kind of see the, the little grassroots starting to get back to normality. Without it's, a doubt. it's fantastic. And it's, it's great. And I'd just like to take the opportunity to thank my customers uh, who've been great and, and my staff. It's been, you know, it's been a hard two years. And do you know what? It's been hard two years or two for me. For musicians, um, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We look at the bright side now. And will you, like, for instance, will your pub and pubs like you have a full itinerary across the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and perhaps a little bit of the bank holiday Monday? Well, uh, you see, Neil, I'm kind of sharing this with you and the, the church because I'm going in there praying every day. What way am I going to balance this out as uh, compared to a normal jazz weekend? Uh, um, I'm kind of going flying half mast at the moment <laughs> in time because. 
you know, we still don't know, like it's still only 60% capacity at the moment. I know they're saying the 22nd of October, that's, you know, but we don't know will be people at the bar. <laughs> uh, I hear Hulan saying, look, you know, everything's grand and rosy, but be careful. Yeah. I get that. So it's, you know, you're kind of taking it week by week. Absolutely, but, yeah. But, but to be fair, I have to say that the bands and, and the musicians that I've been in touch with, right, they all know this. They are all fully, they're, look, they're just delighted like ourselves to be back. And they're prepared to, you know, ride with, with the scenario. You know, if things change in two weeks' time, things change. Yeah, just have to adapt. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Good That's man. What we can do. That's Good man do. yourself. Listen, thanks for being on board in this one. Look after yourself and, you know, have a great, uh, have a great jazz weekend. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ray Kennedy at the Toman Bar, Billy O'Callaghan from the Barrack Street Band and Gráinne, whose dream is coming true. In fact, yesterday, after my conversation with regards to customers and hospitality and things like that, the anglers came back to us to say that they're embarking on a new venture and they're opening a new restaurant and a new cocktail bar upstairs and they are recruiting full and part-time waiters, cocktail bar staff and hosts. So they're asking people to forward resumes to info at theanglers.ie So they're hiring and Chris came back yesterday after my conversation with on air to say that. So they're recruiting full and part-time waiters, cocktail bar staff and hosts. So resumes please to info at theanglers.ie Text the Neil Prenderville Show now 086-8104-106 Red FM The lads are telling me here that medical card payments to dentists is uh, a tooth extraction 39 euro 50 an exam 33 euro and a filling 50 euro and 6 cent don't ask me about the 6 cent but uh, 50 euro for a filling so why wouldn't they want to take uh, medical card payments I mean there's decent enough money in it Uh, with regards to hospitality and how people treat staff my brother-in-law is French and he came here for a visit Uh, he went to a bar in Cork for lunch and a pint I was with him he went to click his finger to the girl serving us I put him in his place before she saw it or heard it. I nearly died myself with embarrassment. He didn't mean any harm, and he said it is normal to do in Paris. I can tell you one thing, he knows better now. you got to wonder why it's normal anywhere that it would be accepted behaviour to click, you know, for attention. Um, I mean, the spoken word in a nice way is exactly the way people want to be treated, not with the click in the fingers. I mean, do they whistle at staff as well? Then... I take issue with that lady stating that the Irish living in the United Arab Emirates speak inappropriately to waiters and waitresses. I have lived here for 24 years and I have never been disrespectful to waiting staff. Not all Irish people living overseas are disrespectful when they come back, come back home either. If you receive bad service, you have the right to give some kind of feedback. Yeah, I mean, but the feedback has to be reasonable. You can't be calling somebody an R-E-T-A-R-D, for instance, as we heard on the air yesterday. Anyway, back after 10 on one 850 Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7 a.m. And wake up your weekend with music, chats, and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Cork's Red FM, officially Ireland's music station of the year. 
there can be no way at all that we'd be able to find a cheaper pint than Helen's Bar in Kilmacalogue in County Kerry. This is a story that's doing the round. I read it in Cork Bureau this morning. It said a pub in Kerry is being praised for selling pints of Guinness at what could be the cheapest price in Ireland, according to customers. It may it might be home to the cheapest pint in the country, they say. Uh, one happy customer said, pretty sure this is the cheapest pint in the country, although the young fella behind the bar tells me with some confidence that there's a place in Adrigal selling them for three eighty five. Is there a pub I want to know in Adrigal down west selling pints of stout for three eighty five? Or indeed, could anybody um, could anybody beat that? Any publican selling cheaper than three ninety? You would have thought four fifty, and I, I think maybe in some places outside of Dublin, of course, where I imagine all all draft is well over a fiver. But wouldn't it be somewhere in the region of four fifty to maybe four eighty, maybe or four ninety? Anyway, a moment of correction on that, but. Um, Somebody went in there, there's a receipt, he'd say, and this person got one crab open sandwich for 12 euro and three pints of Guinness for 3 euro 90 each. The whole bill, 23.70. So 3.90 is the amount to beat. Anyway, text on that, text 0868104106. Be a lot of fun who could find people uh, who have uh, a cheaper pint in their local hostelry than that. Um, talking about hostelries, it's like what you said, Neil, although there's no excuse for abusing staff and hospitality, the prices are still so high and drinking out the, and drinking is expensive too. So the service must reflect this. It's hard to get staff, but if the paying conditions were better, they could retain staff more and provide better service as a result. Yeah, and it would also have people who could afford to tip for good service would tip for good service, wouldn't it? And then on manners, listening to your program this morning, tell that woman who spent a few hours, she sh- who uh, was talking about hospitality and rudeness, tell that woman to spend a few hours on the 220 bus and see how the Irish people treat bus drivers. Hmm, I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Anyway, to the phone lines we go. Eileen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Just very quickly, you had a good night, did you? I'm telling you, no, you should go down to this place if you haven't been there. Do you know it? The District 11? I, I do know of it. I don't think I've ever ate there, but I hear good things about it. A buddy well, of mine eats there. you know, I'm joined a club in Toker Family Centre. We're called the Active Age. We're all now in our senior citizens. And there was 10 of us went down last Thursday. No, it had been booked and everything. Yeah. And we had a brilliant day. And the, I mean, I think it's all down to your, you know, the people, yourself, coming in. How do you mean by that? I mean, it's how you approach it. Is it if you're in great form and there's a lot of crack going on and you're having a laugh? You see, we're, we're very outgoing people, you see. Yeah, yeah. And if you, they, they know, they, you coming in and they see a load of old, old, old people. Oldies but goldies. (laughs) Yeah. Well, do you know what? They were, uh, they were brilliant to us. As a matter of fact, at the end of the meal, and you know what? We even had a a sing song and all between us. (sighs) Were you indoors or outdoors, incidentally? We were outdoors in the garden. Lovely. It was all set up for us. Much nicer. At the end of the meal, when we were finished, the manageress, she's gorgeous. Jan- Joanne is her name. I have to give her a plug because she's brilliant. She brought over the uh, the owner to us. What did you have? Did you have a lunch, was it, or a dinner, or we a few drinks? We had a lunch. We had a lunch, yeah. It was brilliant. Honest to God. And the service 
and the banter between us, see, because we're all very witty people. And was the food good? Like, what did you have? It was gorgeous. Um, I mean, there was chicken supreme. There was, um, you name it, like. Yeah, yeah, good selection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And can I ask you, the ten of you, did you leave a tip then, Eileen? Oh, God, we always do. Wherever we go. Go away. We always leave a tip between us, you know, we box in and we always give a tip. And another thing, uh, Neil, only yesterday we were in the Metropole. Five of my friends were called <laughs> the Goldingers, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For afternoon tea. <laughs> and, I mean, we were treated like royalty there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And the girls, they were all young. They were new because I have an affiliation to the Metropolitan. How come? Did you work there or something? I did long ago. Go away. And my mother worked there. And did my she? son worked there as a chef. And now my daughter-in-law works there at the moment. Well, they're going to give you the silver service treatment. <laughs> and tell me, your mother must have worked there a long, 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 long time ago. Oh, long, long time. She's gone now. She died in 85. When did she start working there, I wonder? Oh, she started when she was... Um, well, well, no, she was the, she she died in eighty five. How old was she? When she died. She was seventy. Seventy, and she worked there for about um, ten years, I think, ten or eleven. Was years. it her first job? It was. So she could have oh, been no, fifteen, twenty years old. She worked before that for five years in the uh, Ironville Hospital cleaning. So she might have been in the Metropole, maybe in the forties, maybe even the thirties. No, no, she wasn't. Much. No, she she started, as I say, she was 70 when she died. Yeah. And she had been in the Metropole about 10 or 11 years up to then. Oh, I see. And did, when you went in there, where, what part of the Met did you work in? Oh, when I went in, well, I, I originally uh, worked in the Sunbeam, you see. Who did And didn't? when that closed down, then she got me in there. The Sunbeam. So are you north side then? I am Roach's Buildings. Ah, yeah. So the whole of the north side was working in Sunbeam. But I worked in the Metropole myself then for for 10 years. And mainly in the background, you know, you know all the big dinners that you guys have uh, in the wash-up. I'd say you were great crack to work with. Well, then. Yeah. And you know the Golden Girls, you you seem to get out a lot, do you? Do you go to different places all of the time? We used to go away. Every Wednesday was our day for going away. Right, somewhere yeah, yeah. on the bus. Because we all had our free travel, of course. Of course. Where would you go? <laughs> we go to we go to Blarney, we go to Tralee, we go to Killarney. <laughs> we went a few times. We went for a weekend, like, you know, <laughs> the places. We went. <laughs> Dead right, young at heart. <laughs> but the COVID then put um, a thing on us and we couldn't go anywhere. That put a but stop to your gallop. Um, the last time we were away now was... Um, Last October, and it was just before the the big lockdown. Yes, and we just got it in down to um, well, oh, what's the name of the 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 quality in Clonakilty, maybe. Yeah, it's yeah, done. that's a good spot. And we, we got one of those houses on the grounds. You're dead right, aren't you? You see, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, oh, yeah, we do that. So you're back we now with a vengeance. You're back now traveling again, all of you. We're nearly now. We're nearly back now again. We're uh, hoping now to. Um, we're hoping now to go to Kenmare for a couple of nights <laughs> in uh, November. 
for a few glasses of vino, a bit of food and a sing song. Yes, but that's what I'm saying, Neil, about the um about the attitudes. Oh, I'd when say if they win with a good attitude. I think so. And yeah. they'll see that. And they we had great banter with the um with the uh, the they wait, they wait. And you'll get it back from them if you have a bit of banter you with do. them and a bit of you crack. Do. I'm telling you now, you do. Is but your son's name is your son's you? name Anthony? It is. <laughs> he just texted Why? me. There. He just texted me there and said, "Get my mam off the air." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! He killed me. I know he's got a he's got a smiley yeah. face as he well. He knows me. He knows me. <laughs> but Neil, yeah. I'm telling you now, you should take a, a, a trip down to I will go. District Eleven and tell her if you see her, tell her the Golden Girl sent you down. Listen, you stay in touch with me and you come back to me and tell me all about your next trip, will you? I will, of course, Neil. All right, Eileen. Good luck. <laughs> bye-bye, love. Cheers, Thank Carl. you. Cheers, Bye-bye. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Remember when the tall ships came to Cork? It was an incredible spectacle. It looked so fantastic and the local economy absolutely boomed. They're saying the same if we can get the convention centre across the line. It was an interesting story that's been rattling on. It looks as if it's been scuttled now. And that is the America's Cup bid. And the idea was to have it here in Cork Harbour, one of the biggest and most beautiful harbours in the world. It doesn't seem, it's not too late yet, but it doesn't seem like as if it's going to happen. Because the government have to divvy up 150 million in costs with hosting the race itself. But the back end of that is at least half a billion to the economy. So you think, you, and you have, so you have to invest to get back. Um, I was very interested in this because uh, it, it would be fantastic for Cork. Absolutely fantastic. You heard Eddie English on the news there at 10 o'clock. I'm just wondering, is it too late? I want to chat with Michael, um, who emailed me this morning and I said, rather than reading it out, I get him on the air because he's been working behind the scenes on some aspects of Ireland's bid for uh, the America's Cup. I don't know why we call it Ireland's bid, Cork's bid uh, for the America's Cup. And he joins me by phone. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks for having me on your show this is, morning. Is it, is it too late? Uh, has that boat sailed or that ship sailed? Well, the, what spurred me to email you was I was when I was actually this morning. I heard you saying that the, it had gone west, and I really believe that it hasn't gone west. Okay. We, we, I think that it would be unacceptable for us, the people of Cork, the people of Ireland, to accept. Uh, losing this opportunity for the country, I uh, I, I think it's just unacceptable. I, I'm in shock, actually, uh, at Minister Catherine Martin's announcement yesterday, saying that she needed six months to carry out the due diligence on the Ernst and Young uh, cost-benefit analysis. I just can't understand where that six-month figure came from. It sounds to me like it was plucked out of the the sky. She's making the she's making the news a lot these days. Uh, you would think that Simon Coveney who's local to us and very much front and centre in, in yachting and, and, and on, on the water himself, that he could have got this across the line. Yeah, you know, Simon has done a huge amount uh, with respect to this bid, Neil, and uh, I, I can't praise him enough, actually, for his efforts. Um, but I just think the timing with what was going on yesterday uh, in the Doyle was just terribly unfortunate for Simon. Uh, you know, it, it, it took this... It, put the spotlight off the America's Cup. I mean, yesterday yeah. was deep. And, uh, yeah. and it, was, it, was, it was a real shame for Simon. And what is the America's Cup? 
the America's Cup is the oldest running sporting event in the year in, in the world. I believe it goes back to 1857. And this, this opportunity for us to host it is uh, unprecedented because typically the the winner of the of the cup it must be held in in the host country of the of the winner so because of covid and because of the the fact that it just covid scuppered the america's cup for new zealand in march this year it, 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 for the first time in the, in the history of the cup it meant that the cup was uh, you know that they were that they were going to sell it out basically yeah. which goes completely against the tradition of the event but uh, because of that and then and then the, the strong connection with New Zealand and Ireland there's a huge uh, Irish diaspora in New Zealand and they were basically handing it to us on a plate uh, like for for us to turn this down it just makes no sense but it, it's, it's about the 150 million euro investment costs is it yeah well Mr. Minister Martin yesterday said it was the she couldn't kind of justify the upfront payment of twenty five million, but I mean, if you pardon the pun, that is an absolute drop in the ocean for as compared to what it would do for the for the economy. I what mean, would it do for the economy of Cork and I suppose to a lesser extent Waterford, Limerick, and Kerry? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you're looking at like the Ernst and Young report says 500 million to the economy, 2,000 jobs, 2.5 million visitors, uh, a, TV, a TV viewers globally of 900 million people. Oh, my God. You oh, see, my the, God. The, the reality of it is, Neil, it, it didn't work for New Zealand last time. The time zone is horrific. You know, people aren't going to get up at 2 a.m. to watch it. They had some somewhere in the region of uh, almost 100 super yachts booked to go to Auckland, and I think 13 arrived. Uh, because it's just too far away. Now, in terms of the the revenue alone, which could be generated from super yachts coming from the Med, I mean, a super yacht coming from the Med can be up here in a few days. Yeah, but Uh, didn't you get contacted by uh, the New York club there yesterday who were gutted with the news? They were looking forward to travelling to the South Coast, weren't they? Absolutely. So, the, I mean, not just the New York Club, I, I've been contacted as, as well. I was a, a past director of the Dubai Offshore uh, Sailing Club and they contacted me uh, expressing their huge disappointment at the news because everybody in, in yachting circles all over the world has been following this, you know, so closely. What did you say but, again? You said half a million, half a billion, 500 million to the local economy, 2,000 jobs. What was the television viewing again? 900 million. So the, the, the knock-on for years to come would be massive. Well, it, it would be unprecedented, Neil. Absolutely unprecedented. And that is why I, I just can't accept us turning this away. I personally cannot accept it. Because it's, uh, what you're looking at is potentially this event opening the floodgates for other massive uh, sailing events such as the Vendée Globe, the Volvo around the world. Uh, Cork, once we would prove ourselves as being, you know, capable of hosting this, which we, which we will be capable, because Ireland and, and the people of Ireland are the most resilient in the world. We've built, we've built New York, we've built Dubai, we've built London. I mean, our capabilities as a people are unlimited, are limitless, I should say. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's not as if we don't have some heavy hitters on Lee's side. I mean, the, ta- the Taoiseach is in Cork. The Minister for Foreign Affairs is in Cork. Um, is, is it a case of knocking heads together? You're saying that it's not too late. 
no, it's not too late. Like, they really have to sit down. They can't accept this because this, the boost to the economy for years to come would be, you know, off the Richter scale. And the thing about it is that not only that, but it would accelerate Cork Harbour and the progress of Cork Harbour by, we, you know, a bunch of us reckon about, about 15 years. It would also assist and give us the shot in the arm which we need to put the infrastructure in place for the for the assembly of offshore wind turbines, which is going to be a must in, in a couple of years from now. Yeah, yeah. So the whole thing ties in so perfectly. This event was exactly what we needed to get Cork Harbour to where it needs to be to support offshore renewable energy. But I hear tell that the organisers, the clock is ticking on them and they need to announce a venue soon, don't they? So are we up against the clock on this? We are, of course, yeah. I mean, like, Minister Martin, they need to, they need to, they need to sit down and, 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 and say, where's this, where's the figure of six months required to carry out this due diligence? Where did that figure come from? Because, of course, proper governance is essential in this and everything has to be quantified and it has to be, you know, uh, for God's down. sake, so you could do it in six hours, never mind six days, not six well, months. We're crunching COVID numbers every day of the week and we're doing this, you know, there's no excuse for this. Like, well, I, I believe this could be done quite easily because the, the Ernst & Young report is so thorough. It was it was compiled by subject matter experts and there's no reason why we can't come up with a decision in two weeks from now. So who's working you know? behind the scenes now to expedite this and to make it happen? Do you know? I actually, I mean, there's a number of people, Neil, but it's really in the lap of, of, of the, the highest levels of government at this stage of the game. Well, hopefully they're turning their attention to today now that that vote of no confidence is out of the way and Mr. Coveney and Mr. Martin are giving it the attention it deserves. I hope so, but I just don't think that it has received enough airtime. Uh, you know, I think it was probably handled pretty badly. There should have been more media coverage on this you know, from when the news first broke about us being potential contenders for, for the Cup. Ah, yeah, but I mean, if, as, as you said yourself, it's a, if it's about looking at the costs involved, hurry up, like. Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's just, I mean, I'm personally, from my own side of the, you know, defence, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can to raise the awareness of the importance of us not losing this event. And when I is mean, it, is it, um, when is it planned? Is it next summer? Uh, uh, no, but like 20, the event... 2024? Sorry, 2024, yeah, yeah, that's right. So basically, what the plan would have been would be to work backwards from the Olympics in Paris, which would have been in August 2024. Oh, so it would be great for Cork. Yeah, it would just be, you know, unbelievable. But anyway, I mean, even if you look at the amount of super yachts that, that would come up to Cork Harbour, and like you're looking at them spending two and a half grand a day on diesel for their generators, then you've got all the, the storing, the provisions, they're all these chaps are going to be eating lobsters, drinking You'd champagne. have every restaurant, every hotel bed booked out everywhere. Yeah. Well, there wouldn't be a hotel room available from, from basically Killarney, you know, Waterford, Limerick, Cork, obviously. Uh, it would be just a giant boost to, to you know, the, the economy okay. and, to, yeah, right. and the hospitality sector in, in particular. Will you, know? you, will you stay in touch with me if there are any updates? I'm happy to give you whatever platform you need on this because it is local. It is important to us, Michael. Is that okay with you? It would be my pleasure, Neil, yeah. Anything to raise the awareness and to get the, the core people especially and the Irish people behind the importance of not okay. losing this. 
Well, now you've explained it, an awful lot more Cork people understand what's at risk here. Thank you, Michael Horgan. Stay in touch. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, text 0868104106. Back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Okay, it's always great to be faced with a challenge and Gráinne's one is across the line. So if you have any wacky challenges that you would like to see if we can sort for you, do get in touch. Email neil at redfm.ie. It was hers, was to always sing with a brass band. So what is it with you? Do you recall some weeks back at a story on the air with the family down in Mahan whose double swing for the lads, the two boys, was stolen from their front garden? You might recall that conversation. It was subsequently found later on. They just dumped it down by the line. But uh, during that conversation, J.J. Brown from Brown Brothers, who make all of these swings and play areas, they do it for an awful lot of the councils and they do it for, you know, you know private people as well, but they put in all of these playgrounds and swings and slides and stuff. And they called in to say that they would make and build and install a brand new state-of-the-art as the fellow says, double swing for the family down in Man. Well, they've done that uh, and I'm very happy to say that it's been done and installed. So thank you to everybody at Brown Brothers. It was good to get that across the line. With regards to people uh, um, and manners and clicking fingers at staff, regarding your conversation about people being rude to hospitality staff, I'm a, me- I'm a member of the Gardaí. I've had a number of people clicking their fingers at me. Another line I get is, what have you achieved in your life as you're only a guard? Another is, I pay your wages or my dole pays your wages. All the best, says a serving guard. Um, others then on tipping, there's no obligation to tip in a restaurant, Neil. Do I need to remind you that? And to eat out in this country is so expensive that a lot of reason, that that's a, one of the best reasons for not tipping at all. It's just too expensive to eat out in this country. Another word on tipping, I deliver to hotels and restaurants on a daily basis, carrying heavy loads into the hotels and the restaurants. I have yet to receive a tip of any sort from any of these. So why do people who work in these places feel they entitled to be tipped by customers can't talk as I'm working at the moment cheers good point you're the one that's delivering all of the food and all of the ingredients and all of the produce you're saying and there's that and lots more besides so I'll come back to all of those but I'm interested in this story because apparently we have two students over from uh, from Germany at the moment and uh, I think they're in an Airbnb in Coachford Toby and Sophie anyway let's see if Mary can tell the story Mary good morning good morning Neil um, are, are you the owner of the Airbnb, Mary? I am, yes. Okay, so yes. What, what, is it, what has happened? Uh, Toby and Sophie, they booked in with me for a week. I didn't know anything about them. They were two, a young couple, and they had a small dog, a chihuahua dog. So I, uh, they stayed with me for a week. And during the week, they told me that they couldn't move in. They were coming to Ireland as students, um, to UCC, and that they couldn't move into the apartment that they had booked and paid for because there was COVID in it. So that was grand. We thought maybe after a week or 10 days, they'd be allowed to move into the apartment. And then every time they contacted the lady, she kind of was putting them off and telling them, oh, no, I don't know. We can't take anyone in there now at the moment. And the other people in the apartment don't want to have students, etc. So uh, Toby was getting very upset. So I looked at the messages that he had received and the kind of it looked kind of suspicious that there was actually no apartment available. The apartment was down the lower Glamour Road and they had paid in total 2,600. Oh my God. Up front? Um, up front, yeah. At different stages to online, you know, they had paid it to a few bank accounts, like to a Bank of Ireland, TSB uh, account, and I think there was another one 
Um, was there a third account? Maybe. There was two accounts, and two different accounts the money was going into. And after about, maybe it was on Saturday, I actually rang her, and she told me that I had no business ringing and I wasn't entitled to speak to her, and I was third party, and that she wanted to deal directly with Toby. So we put her back onto Toby, and she was quite nasty, actually, to him and said that she was offering him alternative accommodation to view in Ayol, out near Clonakilty, or in um, Yahal, I think. Um, but that was another €300 Euro they'd have to pay for her to organise that accommodation. Ah, uh, you are joking me. On top of the, yeah. is it 2300 or 2600 2300 But why yeah. didn't they get a refund of that if there was COVID? Like, is it an empty apartment? You see, we don't know. Um, they've never... They went to the house and they just looked at it from outside. But in the beginning, they were afraid to knock on the door because of COVID and they were adhering to all the guidelines. You're saying they're both vaccinated and had PCR tests and everything. Um, so they didn't go to the house. And then they asked uh, to meet this lady and she said, oh, no, I can't meet you. I've hurt my back and I can't meet anyone. And she was kind of saying, you shouldn't be ringing me on a Saturday. I'm a very busy woman and... You know, I haven't time to be... And she was Irish, you know. And do you think this is legit, do you? Or do you think it's a scam? I think it's definitely a scam at this stage. Yeah, 100%. Did she offer any um, refund or anything? So, because they didn't... Um, because they were out for... They had paid for August, okay, just to hold the room. They paid 800 for August. And this was a single room, I think, they were getting. They had paid 800 for August just to hold the room. Then in September, they paid another 800 for the room and they paid 300 service fee or cleaning fee or something. And then an 800 deposit as well. And so they actually paid 800 euro for the room in August, even though they weren't going to be here or use it to make sure that it would be there for them in September. Exactly. And they were yeah. charged 300 euro. They were charged for the cleaning before they moved in. Yeah. Is that normal? Not at all. Is it in Airbnb? Do people have to pay for the cleaning before they move in? You do. There's a service fee of maybe maybe ten twenty euro as yeah. part of it. There you go. Yeah. It's not three hundred euro. Not three hundred euro. No, no, no. So you're on to UCC. Incidentally, this is not college campus accommodation uh, and they said to us that University College Cork is aware of the situation that has arisen regarding off-campus private accommodation. The accommodation in question that you speak of is not provided by UCC but UCC is working to assist the students with this issue. Are they here to learn a language? No, they're here on Erasmus. Uh, They're studying um, history and German and philosophy and English or something. In UCC? In UCC, yeah. It's Erasmus year, you know. Oh, for God's sake. The Erasmus is where foreign students, you can go to another country. Like my my son went to Slovenia. You can do it for a year, I think, is it? Yeah, yeah. And were they intending on staying in that place for a year then, paying by the month? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. And pay the monthly rent then of 800 euro. Are they very upset? They're very upset. um, But I guess they're kind of lucky that they've they're here and they're comfortable and they're fine, but they're very upset. And, you know, it's kind of upsetting all of us, really. And how, have you given us you the know. phone number of this landlady? I have, yes. Okay, have yes. we called her yet, I wonder? We need to call her and find out if she answers the phone so. in the first place. Yeah, you, you, yeah. yeah. What, what is your belief that... Because uh, you said that they went to the front door. They did, yeah. 
Now they Why didn't they go in? Um, I think they were a bit, they were nervous because, of, you know, she had said it was COVID and they didn't want to be, you know, breaking any rules, you know, COVID regulations. Is so it an apartment they, block? It, it's a, it looks like a house, is it? It looks like a house, I think, on the Lower Glamour Road. Now, they only found that on Google Maps. They've never met. They asked to meet her as well, and she won't meet with them. Screams of scam to me. Does it with you? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Is Toby Um, there? Yeah. And they were on to UCC, and UCC had heard of her, and there was trouble with her before. Oh, well. And did they just find it online or something like Daft or something, or...? On Facebook. Facebook. And uh, they got contact from somebody. But we just see there yesterday, there was a quick, there was a report that, you know, that she's a scam and to keep away from her. But this is going on. She's there on on the internet for years. So, And do you believe that she's been catching young, young gullible students like this for years? Exactly. They're targeting foreign students. And why has nobody shut her down? I don't know. And is their money gone now, do you think? She did refund them because we put a lot of pressure on her. She refunded them three hundred euro from a different bank account again. Yeah, but she's two grand up for a for um yeah, yeah, an exactly. apartment that was never used, not given. That was never used and never got inside the door. Of. And then she asked for more money then to find them somewhere yeah. else. Ah, for yeah. God's sake. You need to yeah. talk to this woman. Let's see if she answers the phone to us. Okay. She was just stay on the matter. And how are they getting on? Like are they are they getting on with their college education and things like that? It's a bit of a trek every day from Coachford to Cork, don't they? Oh they do, and like I don't have accommodation for them long term, you know what I mean? I kind of do this on a seasonal basis just to, you know, that I have, my children have grown up and they've moved out of the house. Yeah. And actually one is back now because of the COVID has returned. So I just had a spare room and I did a bit of Airbnb on the side. I'm working uh, full time. So, you know, it's not, I wouldn't be holding, you know, people all year round. I know what you're saying. So they are looking as well at this stage, are they? Oh, they're looking, yeah. Very busy looking, yeah. Yeah. And they're very, you know, they're very, very nice and... quiet, respectful um, people, you know, extremely nice. So, you know, I don't mind helping them. Well, they must be gutted that they were caught by somebody that was known to be doing this for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, they were very innocent, really. They kind of fell into a a trap there, I'd say, definitely. Okay, and have we got the address as well? Did you provide us with the address? Of the house that was for rent? Yeah. We did, I think, yes. Okay, that's good. Just in case you might want to take a trek down there and knock on the door and see who is there, if anybody at all. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, all right. Um, well, let's see what she has to say on the matter as to whether she answers her phone or not. But uh, somebody needs to put a stop to her gallop, that's for sure. Definitely, yeah. All right, Mary. You know, and it's, it seems to be ongoing. All yeah. right, okay, it's, it's heartbreaking. Thank you so much, yeah. and uh, well done Thanks for your own Brenda. intervention. Cheers. Take and if care. anyone has any available accommodation, or they know us for two students um, for the year for Erasmus, like I'd highly recommend them anyway. If well done. Anything okay, will they come with you? Will they come with your highest recommendation? Let's see if anybody gets back to me on that. All right. Okay. Thanks, million. Okay, Mary. Take care. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. If you feel that you might be able to help them out, the poor misfortunes. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And you can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. With people, I mean, how convenient it was for this woman to say, having taken 2,300 euro, how convenient it was for her to say, oh, I can't let you in there. There's COVID in the apartment. Um, am, I, am I to believe that the apartment was empty? 
that there was nobody living in that actual apartment? Could it not have been, I mean, it, obviously I think it's a scam, but let's say it was legit. Could there not have been deep cleaned? And in the event of that, that you would give a refund, the COVID in the apartment is the landlady's problem, not those two people coming over to uh, live in it for a period of time. Imagine being so desperate to find somewhere in Cork that they paid 800 euro for August, even though they weren't even in the country, and they paid it just to hold the apartment. I wonder, did she say, if you want it in September, you'll have to pay to hold it across the month of August as well? I mean, it just screams uh, dodgy to me. It really does. Uh, with regards to people finding somewhere to live, I have a friend who won't come on air. She's just simply too embarrassed. She and her daughter are going to be homeless next week as her landlady is selling up She's had notice since last year, but due to COVID, she got extra time. But she's been trying continuously to try and rent a house to absolutely no avail. I'm just wondering if there's anybody out there who has a house to rent at the moment that could perhaps help her out. She's gone to numerous viewings. Hundreds of people are there at the same time, all to view the same property. She tried her local Southside TDs, but nothing. And she is due to be out of her house on the 26th of September and is in total despair. Absolutely, she's in despair because if she doesn't get anywhere, she will have to present as homeless to Cork City Council and be put in a hostel or a B&B or a hotel room or what have you. So it's awful out there for many, many people. Uh, text 0868104106. And with regards to just one or two updates then on Frankie the Birdman of Dawn Square. Edward Garvin here. Breaking. Somebody said, a business person said they didn't want the pigeons because they were breaking into houses and robbing slates. I've never heard of a pigeon breaking into someone's house. I wonder, Neil, have you ever seen a pigeon flying around with a slate under its wing? No, I, I found that bizarre myself, I have to say. Frank sounds like a lovely man, but I never knew how dangerous bird poo actually is until my two-year-old son ended up in the CUH with Campylobacter. After coming into contact with bird poo, he's still not right after it. It made me extremely conscious of it. Morning, Neil. I'd love to know which businesses in the city are complaining about Frankie feeding the birds. I'd like to know who to boycott. Another one there. Ah, come on, Neil. Pigeons breaking into houses and robbing slates off, re- off roofs? Come on. I, met, I meet Frankie every day out walking his dogs. He's an absolute gent. Uh, Frankie has a beautiful sister called Anne Cook from Fairfield Avenue. She's a living legend. Because of her, we as young children had odd jobs to do back in the 1960s and we got cash for food. But one person thinks that it's not even worth covering as a story. All this noise between you between RTE, between Virgin Media News, between all of the newspapers, all because a council worker asked your man to move to feed the birds somewhere else after a business voice concerns. And you, Neil, are telling us that civil servants are time wasters. He or she claims that I'm wasting my time even talking about the subject in the first place. I don't agree. I think it was well worth covering. I really and truly do. And I love Cork stories like that, incidentally. I love Cork characters and anything to do with the culture or the, you know, the characters in Cork. I think it's always a great thing. Um, actually, I came across a very interesting article there recently with regards to, um, uh, I think it might have been an article in the, in, the, in the Southern Star at the time about people who went to their grads or people who went to their debs. And we were chatting a lot about it uh, over the past few days. And I know that the lads posted it up online with regards to people and their memories of their grads or their debs. And for many people... They can't even remember it. Uh, but I think the man who started the ball rolling in all of this was Kieran O'Mahony, the news reporter with the Southern Star. Kieran, good morning. 
Morning, Neil. How are you? What's it all about? Were you just reminiscing, was it? Yeah, yeah. I think it sort of, yeah, I suppose it struck me that it was 30 years ago this summer that we had our grads. And then I was supposed to take into account, you know, the fact that there has been no dibs or grads for, I suppose, this year's Leaving Cert and yeah. last year's as well. Yeah. So I tried to uh, go down memory lane. What was it like and, uh, 30 years ago? I mean, what school did you go to? Where was it oh, held? Yeah, we, I went to the, the uh, Hamilton High School in Brandon. Uh, known locally as the Hammies. And we had our grads down in Acton's Hotel in Kinsale. Very posh. Uh, Is that the school that Graham Norton went to, incidentally? Uh, no, he went to Bandon Grammar. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 But so you I, bought, I, I, you rented I, I, the tux, did you? Yeah, yeah. I suppose like this, we all did. You know, we rented the tux and, you know, got the flowers and chocolates and things. And I must have come home with the wrong tux, I'd say, as many people would have done back then. And I was just saying it was it was a more innocent time as well. You know, we had we didn't have mobile phones or the internet, so the pictures that we have are are, are as blurry as the memories. And uh, I was you know using disposable cameras, <laughs> so thank God. Like there's nothing up in the net, or there's no there was no Snapchatting or anything. So it probably it was, was a lot safer time. back then, wasn't it? Yeah, it was safer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, without having you could mobile enjoy phones. The noise. Yeah, yeah, you could enjoy the noise without looking. You know, take you know. But I'm looking through the phone for the most of the night. Okay, so you got the talks and you got the flowers. Did you get the girl? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, sure, yeah, surely was. I don't know if she's listening now. Um, yeah. Are you still um, in touch with her? Uh, yeah, I've met her once or twice down through the years. Yeah. Didn't marry her or anything, no? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but I suppose, as I said, there were a lot of, you know, negotiations at the square there in Bandon where all the buses used to meet. And, like, I suppose, you know, a few phone calls being made and things like that to secure the date and there probably was many you know he white as well with other um, with somebody jumping in before them oh really was the yeah. uh, were, were a lot of you after the same girl was it possibly yeah uh, you got Shirley though <laughs> oh I did <laughs> oh I've been talking about other 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 um, potential dates yeah <laughs> so was this a nighttime gig then was it yeah yeah nighttime. I mean yeah we would have headed off around 6 or 7 we actually organised a bus and, and from Bandon and took us down to Kinsale. And, you know, it was uh, just, I suppose, a regular night, really. Like, you know, we, we I think when I said we ate the dinner as well, which it probably doesn't really happen these days. Is it very different now? Do they have prinks and pre-drinks and does it all, all prinks, start at yeah. lunchtime kind of thing? Well, lunchtime, here? yeah. I mean, it was only a few years ago I noticed them when I was doing Skipperine that they were heading out at lunchtime, going for drinks uh and, you know, they probably wouldn't come home till the next day after, I presume. You'd have to really pace yourself at that age, though, if you're starting oh, at exactly, lunchtime. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, it was a long enough night for us back then. It's going out at six or seven o'clock. It was a novelty, I'd say. And but, did uh, it end after the gig? And Did it end after the event in Acton's? Or is there Because no, there's no, afters now. We, yeah, there was a few after parties back in Bandon, yeah, as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... I probably like landed at one anyway and made my way home then probably the next day. I love, I love, I don't see it much these days, but years back I used to see it a lot. I suppose it still exists. You see them traipsing home. You know, yeah, when I worked in yeah. the city and I'd be going across town and what have you early in the morning, you'd see them traipsing through the city with the, your man yeah. with the jacket over his back, um, the girlfriend with them, usually in two, sometimes more, and she still has the beautiful dress on from the night before. I think it's exactly. a lovely sight, you know? 
Yeah. They used to be uh, at the Coliseum. That was a popular place, wasn't it? To go for breakfast in the city. Ah, you're spot yeah. on. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But you look but back at it yeah. thinking you never had it so good. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I feel for the, the leaving circle 2020 and this year who've never had it. And I, I think the, the students I spoke to as well, a lot of them mentioned that they never had a graduation ceremony in their school, which was another more, they actually said that was more important than actually having a dead or grad. They never got to mark their... It was been a tough couple of years. It certainly has. It's very interesting, though, because I was thinking, actually, so that was your grads. Did you go to, were you invited to any Debs, though? Yeah, I I, I was invited to the Bandon Convent one, I think, the year after, possibly, yeah. So there were none, there was nuns at that that dance, was there? Oh, there were no nuns, no, I don't think they were invited, (laughs) as far as I'm aware. Because in the Mon years back in the North Mon, because I did fifth and sixth year there, there was no there was no grads. Um, oh, I remember a mortifying evening that I left from early because it was just all of the three classes in the gym with the teachers. Like an assembly. I, I, I think there might have been music or a couple of sandwiches or something. But when I look back at it now, it just sounds so bizarre. Yeah. There was no girls. There was no dance. There was no hotel. I don't know why. <laughs> and was that a, not a tradition to have a grads in? Oh, no, yeah. But I don't know. It was just a one-off year. Maybe others at the Mon will tell me differently. But that's my recollection of it. Oh. A non-event. <laughs> I remember, actually, I remember, oh my God, you know the way you'd be experimenting and you just get it all wrong. I remember going to a, a, a Debs of a girl that I was invited to. I was going out with her at the time and it was an awful night because even two or three pints back in the day as a young fella, I think I might have been 17 going on 18 or something like that. It had an awful effect on me and I didn't get past the reception. <laughs> I ended up I ended up spending maybe an hour and a half sitting on a seat in reception I think the Blarney Park Hotel and eventually just, I spoiled her night, absolutely ruined her night. I mean, I should apologize for it, I suppose. Uh, I think she had a great night anyway, just left me there. And I eventually, I eventually just slinked away home on my own. It was awful. <laughs> and you had to talk tired and all. Oh, he looked the part, yeah. I just couldn't walk. <laughs> oh my God. Did you get much response to the article? Um, yeah, and I suppose like um, when you put it up on your Facebook page there as well, there was a lot of people contacting me about it as well. So it's like you know, there's a great interest in this, great interest in in the whole Debs Grads, you know, event, and you know, and especially that people people are looking back at theirs then as well. There's just great interest in nostalgia, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of all short sorts and fashions. Um, I think we've some calls on this, and I'm going to read out a lot of the texts and emails that we got on as well. Listen, thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. Thank Bye, you so Neil. much. Take care, Kieran. Man, I got the ball rolling. Kieran Amani, news reporter with the Southern Star. To the phone lines we go. Olivia, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I am well. What can you recall? I suppose um, that, like, it, is, it is maybe 28 years ago now. And again, it was a great night. But I brought my now husband to my dad's and... <laughs> Yeah, it was a great night. Uh, we were 16, 17. You no, know, at the time, I suppose we didn't drink, so there wasn't any carnage stories to report back, to be honest. But yeah. um, we, had, we had it in Blarney. You know, the hotel isn't there anymore. I think it's Blarney Park. That's the one I just referred to there. It must have been yeah, a popular one yeah. for Debs and Grads. Yeah. yeah. It was great, yeah. And again, great night. Um, so I was in the St. Vincent School and my husband was in the Mon. But one memory I have very clearly, Neil, was the next morning, because obviously we went to the Coliseum that night. 
But the next morning, my boyfriend at the time went up to the AG to collect his junior search results. <laughs> <laughs> he was a junior search when you were a leaving search, is it? No, he, he was in fifth year at the time. I was in sixth year, obviously. Oh, but anyway, right. there was no TY back then. So yeah, obviously yeah. he collected the results. And actually, it's this week, 28 years ago. So I think it was about the 18th, 19th of September. And to the Coliseum then for what? Food or bowling, is it? Um, I think just to sit down, have again cups of tea, and just to, I suppose to prove that we could all stay up all night and not having to go to sleep because that was the norm back in the, the day. Neil, you know, we used just to not go home really. Um, no, obviously letting our parents know where we were. Oh, I think it was the one night you had a free pass, wasn't it? Exactly, we were allowed to stay out all night, which is strange. And again, we were only seventeen, you know, sixteen, seventeen. So um, it was just I suppose a bonus the fact that we were allowed out. So yeah, a gang of us went back to the Coliseum just again had food. I think maybe bowling as well at the time and. Then left me about eight or nine in the morning and wrapped up to the, the school for the results. But again, my memory is very positive, really, you know. And he went um, up then, your your boyfriend at the time, your husband, now went up to get his inter-search results. Well, yeah, I think it was a junior start. I think it was the second year we got the junior start. The inter was done at that time. But he went up to, yeah, to get his results um, in his suit, obviously still. <laughs> but, um, and you married? Yeah, we're married now 20 years, together 30 years, obviously. But um, yeah, we're married 20 years next year, yeah. Isn't that lovely? So was it a childhood sweetheart? Yeah, we were, t- I suppose we're together, and again, I think I've spoken to you in the past about this need, but yeah, since we're 15 and 16, we're dating, so... Where did you spot him, on the ramp at the North Mon, is it? In the disco, the disco, actually, in the North Mon disco, but we, I suppose we played basketball as well years ago, Neil, and that's, I suppose, we kind of saw one another at various games, but mainly we kind of got together at the North Mon disco, all right, um, which I think was a regular thing back in the day, and there's even a few friends of mine that did meet around the same time, and they're still together today. So I love it. I it love did, it. It did Different. produce a few long-term couples, really. Which is good. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find other people who actually went out, married, and went to their debs together. But certainly, it's different now. It starts a lot earlier, and there's you know a lot more issues than so. I mean, it's not just about going to the Coliseum now. Somebody says a popular post post the night was to go to Cork Airport for breakfast. The restaurant was accessible. You know, you could go out and sit and watch the planes depart and have breakfast out there at the time. Stuff like that. Yeah, I actually remember two friends of ours actually doing the same thing at the time, right? But, um, no, again, I, I have very fond memories. And very. And actually, one, one other thing, actually, I remember, Neil, from my dad, my boyfriend got in a limo to collect us. But it, bro- it, it actually broke down on the way. So we were late going, again, because we had to get it started and that. No, it turned up in the end, all right. But it that just, might have been the same limo that broke down, actually, about 10 years ago when my son was going to a girl's Debs and he went to, to, to pick her up and what have you. And they were just driving out of the park and everybody was smiling and waving them off and <laughs> the limo just died. <laughs> Yeah, they were all really neat. Mortified. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's just a very clear night in my memory, really, given that it was so long ago. But again, very happy memories. Love it. Well done. Great for sharing. Thanks, Olivia. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Imro Music Station of the Year. Cork's Red FM. Uh, amazing, actually, people waiting months and months and months and months for passports and others then lucky enough to get it in a couple of days. Uh, many of those texts, actually, the passport backlog is probably caused by the ease of getting one. It's an easy passport to get and hundreds of thousands have been given to foreigners who qualify now through the grandparent rule. That's probably slowing it down. Uh, Mind you, someone critical of the public sector who they say need to get off their ass and get back into the office and open up the offices and get to work so you can walk in and deal with a person one-to-one. Somebody else has got my baby's first passport from May to September. 
Um, had to send our birth search because that wasn't clear in the list and it was eight weeks after that. My own was three days, uh, my own was three days old, but renewal is very easy compared to the, sorry, that makes no sense. Apologies for that. Uh, my son was born in March 2020. His nana living abroad was diagnosed with cancer in September 2020. So we had to go and visit. We applied online for his first passport at the beginning of 2020 and we still don't have it a whole year later in spite of numerous calls and emails. We reapplied after six months because your application is automatically cancelled. I didn't know that. If it's not processed within six months, it's cancelled. Why? So March 2021, I sent a new one. New photos, new forms, gave up, gave everything. Um, got my, my son got a passport in three weeks after eventually going to the embassy in Dublin from the country my husband is in, which is overseas. So it was the overseas embassy, the Irish embassy overseas, that eventually got them the passport. Uh, morning, if the passport office assigned some of the staff to applications that are urgent, then the situation we hear about on the air so often could be avoided. You know, I can't uh, disagree with you there. It's difficult. Um, you know, it's difficult really when, you know, working from home must be very hard when a lot of it is processing and printing things and sending them out, you know. I mean, you, you must be very cut off if you're working from home with regards to that kind of a section of the job. Lots then on Debs. I didn't make it to my Debs. I made it to the hallway of the toilet of the Debs. And then I woke up with a bucket beside me at home. A bad headache, bad memories and lots of regrets. Well, it's one thing waking up with a bucket beside you in the bed, but another thing if it had been a traffic cone that a lot of people have woken up with uh, next to them, thinking it was a good idea at the time to bring home a traffic cone. Um, can't get the girl, get the traffic cone. I went to the Christian's grads. I was in St. Al's myself. Uh, his grads was in the Metropole Hotel. It was great crack, 1983. A lot of people actually in touch this morning from the 1983 grads and Debs. It was a proper sit-down, three-course, and the dresses were all white. My taffeta gown was just so lovely. The corsage... Corsages were fabulous and the drinks were flowing. We danced all night with a band and then we walked around town all night and then went up to Cork Airport for breakfast. Dead right, you did it in style. I wish I never went to mine, but was made to go by my parents. The person I invited never showed up and I was still forced to go by my parents. My friend at short notice got a neighbour of hers to come with me and it was the most bloody awkward thing I have ever experienced in my life. And here you are telling me about it all these years later. Jane says, our Debs, we all got kicked out of the hotel early because somebody bottled a bouncer. A couple of years later, I ended up working in security myself with that bouncer for the Bon Jovi gig in Slane. It randomly came up in conversation, having a drink after our shift ended. What are the odds of that? What are the odds indeed? Neve says, almost didn't go. I got tickets for the football final that Sunday. The Debs was on the Friday night and Dad had meetings in Dublin all day Saturday. We had a great night. We didn't do dates at my school and just had a laugh that night. Laura says, happy days. Back to the Coliseum and on to the airport for breakfast. Philip, mine was in the country club, which is now the Montanati. It was back in 95. I took a Spanish girl to it. Remember loads of us walking down to the Coliseum afterwards. And for Joe... It was 1988 in the Metropole and afterwards to Spiders. We had booked it from 2.30 a.m. It's 2.30 in the morning. So you got your own exclusive Spiders from 2.30 all through the night. 
fantastic. Back in 1988. So from the Metropole to Spiders. Well done. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Frank, good morning. Morning, Nate. So I was because I, I was wondering why in the Mon we didn't have any uh, grads. And what 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 year were you? Oh were you man, do you, do you really want to know? I'm going to say 79, 80 at a push. Yeah, I think as far as I can remember, I was at 83, and we were the first one for quite a few years. That's the reason why. And when they started the grads in '83, where did you go? We at the the mess, the mess report, but we actually had to organise it ourselves. In that, we put together a little committee. I was in the AG, so it was just quite a small grad. The actual main school didn't have any. Weird, um, isn't it? I mean, when did when did grads and Debs actually start? Oh, I think they're they're as old as time, really. Yeah, really, because I mean, I didn't have them, but yet I went to Debs. Yeah, I, well, I, I I think the Debs were a lot more common because. The, the girls themselves, rather than the school, used to organise them. I know, maybe it was just the Christian brothers weren't into it, you know? Um, well, definitely not. But um, no, all our teachers were at ours. <laughs> Is that a good thing? We, what? Well, it was good in a way that we had a mineral bar only in one of the rooms in the mess, but the teachers would be on the bar downstairs, so... If you answer the point, you go down, they get it, feel like. The teachers will get you a point. Oh, yeah, one or two of them, yeah. So I'd say the mineral bar was fairly empty, was it? It was quite empty, all right, no, to be quite honest. <laughs> there was a few of us who were actually 18 in Leaving Cert, so we, we, we could go to the bar ourselves. Maybe, maybe three or four of us, but the rest of them then, they'd come down and the teachers would buy them a point, like... I don't know how many places would have teachers at the grads or the devs, but you did. Yeah, well, we, in fairness, we had a great relationship. We had some great teachers. No, we were lucky enough that we didn't have any Christian brothers teaching us. Why do you say that? Because they were nutcases. They were animals. Oh, not all of them, though. One or two of them were nice characters. Well, one or two were, yeah. Um, I find it hard to pick a motor, be quite honest. But, Others were um, too fond of the cane or the leather, though. Mind you, there was a few lay teachers back in the day in there that were fairly fond of them, too. Oh, there were, but I suppose was, those were the days. Like, I yeah, mean, yeah. it was the done thing. Like, I mean, you all, we all remember the teachers throw, throwing the duster at you or things like that. But no, we I remember, no, we had a great night. As far as I can remember, the circles were a band. Good band, and a good band too. Back, back then, they were probably one of the top ones around Cork. Like, and then Please tell me you had girls at it, though. Oh, we did, yeah. Is that something? Every, I mean, every, every, every fella brought a girl with him, like. Um, and afterwards? Afterwards, we went back to, at the time, my best friend, he's got his long gone now, but old, over in the North Mall, Robbie Smith, we, went, we all went back to his house. Um, his mum and dad had gone away. Oh, for, for God's sake, a free house, was it? No, but they knew it, it was an empty house, like, but they, they deliberately went away so that we could all go back and... I think we got home about seven, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. They like. were very trusting, that family, weren't they? Oh, they were, but uh, he was a lovely guy and they knew that. They knew they, they knew most of the people in the class and they knew there'd be no trouble, like, you know. You didn't wreck the joint then, no? Absolutely not, no. There was just music and, well, it wasn't really television unless you wanted to watch the test card, like. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but but uh, I know we just we just had we had a great night all together. A great crack. Happy days, happy days, and happy memories. Grads in '83, the Metropole, wasn't it? And then back to your man's house. That's correct. Lovely stuff. Thanks for sharing, Frank. Appreciate it. Thanks, Neil. Cheers, Pat. Just want to say, I went to a Deb's back in 95 with a girl, my wife's cousin, and came out of it with my now wife. We're still together after 26 years. He swapped partners at the Debs. Uh, celebrating our 16th wedding anniversary tomorrow. If you can say happy wedding anniversary to Audrey Cronin from her loving husband and her best friend, Martin. Can't go on the air. Love to chat, but I'm driving around West Cork at the moment. But a great story. Thanks for sharing it. Got more calls on the way after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Okay, back to nostalgia in a few minutes' time, and why not? But uh, through the phone lines we go. Uh, Phil, good morning. Oh, good morning, Neil. Lovely chatting with you again. You were out shopping last week, is it? I was. And you ended up uh, in Ballinlock? Yes. Well, I have been Ballinlock. But it was the first time I'd been out in three weeks. Are you Ballinlock? I always thought you were Northside. That's amazing. Oh, I said, I'd love to be Northside, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Well said. No, they're the salt of the earth. Well said. to God, Neil. Oh, my God. Anyway, tell us the story. What happened? Yeah. Well, I went down to collect my pension. I have a local post office. And I went into the shop then to do my few messages. And when I was passing the orchard bar, all the people were out there at tables laughing and joking. And it was a beautiful day. And I said, you know, my God, I got good for a drink. Yeah. You're that kind so of girl, went, actually. Yeah. You're that kind of girl. Well, yeah. I But no, I mean, geez, I was my 50s. But... I was went to the orchard because, you know, I didn't drink till I was 21. Not that I like drink anyway. But no, I do. Yeah. I'm in my <laughs> right. 70s. And I, I went in and I said to the barman, Kieran, I said, Kieran, uh, you know, the usual, not that I've been doing enough for a couple of years since this COVID came in. And he bought me the drink. Oh, he knew your order, did you, when he, when he said the usual, did he? Oh, he did, of course. What is the usual? Uh, if I was out, I would drink a gin. Very nice. At home, I'd have a glass of wine now with my meal. So did you get a gin and tonic in the orchard then? Oh, no, I wouldn't drink tonic. No, gin and water. Every spirit to me is water in it. Go away. Okay. All right, each to their own. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no lemon, just ice and water. Okay, no bit of sugar. You're not No fancy Dan stuff. All right, so did you get it, order it, pay for it? Uh, oh, yes, of course, I ordered when I would tell him sure he was delighted to see me because, you know, I'm old now in my 70s. And, you know, I don't, I go very, very rarely, which I've done in the last 10 years. And he he just said, I said, right, Kieran, how much do I owe you? And he said, no, it's paid for. Okay, how and come? Said, because I'm independent now and they would know that. Nobody would buy me a drink, you know, because you're a woman. People think that, you, you know, pay your own way. a man will buy you a drink. And I had my marriage broke down after seven years. And I was very independent. So I said, I'm sorry, Kieran, who bought that drink? Or who paid for it? And he said, that gentleman there. But he wasn't there. I just saw the back of him go out the door. And then... He, I said, Kieran, do you know who he is? He said, I do. He said, he's a lovely man. He said, he's living down there, whatever down there meant, I don't know. 
He said he's living down there. He said he's a lovely man. No, he was a young person. He had a wife and children or maybe a child. He was a 20-something, um, maybe early 30s or something like that. Oh, he wouldn't be 30s at all. All right, young then. No. Okay, very young. No, no, no. Yeah. So it would be different if he bought it now for a young girl. And wasn't it a lovely... I hope you found it a lovely thing to do. I thought you have no idea what it's like to be old and you're just put on the heap, the dump heap. And for somebody to do something like that, I came home, went in my front door and I cried. Did you? I said, how could somebody be that nice to an old person? And why do you say and the dump heap? What do you mean by that? Oh, when you're old, no, Nate, or sorry, uh, Neil, you're nobody bothers about you, really. You do have, I mean, I have very good friends, but generally speaking, no. Do you feel as if you're invisible to people if you're out, is it? You're invisible. You are. You know, you're old. Sure, you know, you're, she's had her day now. Leave her day off. And that's the truth, Neil. Yeah. I hate old age, everything about it. Now, if I had my... If I was physically okay, you know, but I didn't have uh, illnesses, I wouldn't mind. But just for a younger person to do that for an old... And I have a walking frame. Right. So, I, I don't know. I'm just still gobsmacked. I don't know where the gentleman is. Well, I know he's just near the orchard somewhere. Well, you weren't invisible to him, Phil. It was a very kind gesture of him. Wasn't it? Yeah. And... Do you know, I said to Kieran, I said, I can't see him. I said, I wanted to thank him. I didn't want to kneel, but he did it with a good heart. Ah, you took it, drank it and enjoyed it and appreciated the kind gesture. For sure you did. Oh, my. Yeah, because you were doing that there, don't you know, last year. You know, kind gesture, buy a coffee. Yeah. Leave the money behind the bar to buy for somebody else, the next person that came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pass it on, yeah. And And Phil, if you were able to tell people or give advice as to how it would be made better for elderly people who you say, use your words, are dumped on the scrap heap. How could things be improved? Uh, if people recognised you, just as the person you were. I mean, I'm still the same person, it's just that I'm old. And does that involve saying hello, is it? Uh, not just, no, um, not just saying hello, but, you know, people say, how are you? And can I do anything for you? Because when I was young, and all through my adult life, I I did volunteer work all my adult life, and people just uh, you know see you. But you don't just get seen I, so much as you get. Like the people are much are very busy now, and I suppose it's been hard as well over the nearly two years now, where people would be afraid to have a conversation or to help somebody. You know. Well, I would still do it. But I thought it was so, I know no Neil, it was coffees. I know I'm talking now about a drink and maybe that's not as popular. But it was the strangest experience I ever had in my life. And I thank that young man so much. I hope you get to meet him at some stage. Oh, I'd say I won't. You never know. But uh, no, honest to God, that somebody will be that caring because you don't get that that much anymore. The Orchard Bar, isn't that, um, isn't that Micheál Martin's local there in Ballinlock, isn't it? Next to, it's near O'Driscoll's, the supermarket, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is, yeah, O'Driscoll's, yes, is it, is, it is, is that his local, is it, or did he move to the Silver Key or something like that, no? 
Well, the Orchard Bar didn't. No. No, I suppose he'd go to all of them. He'd just be popping in. Doesn't he have a clinic there, I think, in the Orchard, doesn't he? Uh, he used to know, but neither we know for years, so I couldn't tell you. I, I don't know. know but you enjoyed, did you get out over the summer? Did you enjoy getting out a bit more? No, I didn't go out really, no. you know, with this lockdown and everything. And that had been three weeks. And just, you know, it was great just to be outside my gate, to be able to go to the, the post office, to be yeah. able to go to the shop. And then I decided, yeah, I'll go in and I'll have a drink. And my God, it was so totally unexpected. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, people no. would know me. You know, you don't buy me a drink. I'm going to buy it back for you. I don't care, you know, men or whatever. Ah, but it was a chivalrous thing to do. Yeah, I know. And are you like that? Be, are you like that because you've always been um, looking after yourself all through your life? Did you rear a family alone? Oh, I did. Yes, my marriage broke up after seven years and then I was left with two small children and a house to pay for. How'd you do it? I did it. How'd you do it? I did it. I did it. Went out to work every day? Uh, No, uh, when they were small, they were in primary school. Uh, No, I just cleaned houses. I took them, they were going to Crab Lane School and I would drop my older daughter to school and there was three years between them and but. Julie would sleep on stones and I would go down and I'd clean a couple of houses on Blackrock Road, come back one o'clock, collect Sarah from school, bring her back, bring her back down at two because it was a lunchtime that time. Yeah, I went to Crab Lane way back in the day, yeah. yeah. You did not? Yeah, I did. Well, well, when I was very, very small, we started primary school in Crab Lane because they were still building Bowmount National School at the time. So yeah, I did. Yeah. Um uh, and it was just two, it was just one big classroom and uh, like there had maybe four or five different classes in it. And up at the top was the teacher and a, and a, and a big coal fire. It was. That's right. It was like, a, that's you know, right. when, I, when I think of it now, it was it's like a hundred years ago. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Because um, as I said, you know, my older daughter went there first and then my Julie went it's a beautiful little school. So you would clean houses every day, and when you'd pick them up from day. primary school at one o'clock, would you feed them then, is it, or what? Oh, sacred heart, of course I would. Yes, I believed in food <laughs> and heat, and they were my priorities. And then you bring them and back to would. school, and would you go off and clean more houses? Yes. And it's only when they went to secondary school then, because they were there until four, and... You know, they had different friends then, older friends, and they would be finished until maybe half past four. And in the winter time, my mother only lived in the park behind me. So if it was a bad day, they could go there and I would be home at six and I would have had the dinner done from the night before. I had a slow cooker and I had a pressure cooker. And... If it was the Blackrock Road... The real work, as I say. Uh, the real work was... Uh, cleaning someone's house is very hard work because they would have been it's big the old... They would have been... What? Yeah, some of them had three stories, yeah. They'd be quite wealthy, those those uh, families on the Blackrock Road. Well, it was the wealthy ones that paid you the least. Why is that, though, I wonder? The, I don't know. It was the poor, and I loved them all, and even Sarah, God rest her... Uh, I had one lady, Mrs. De Hassan, and she lived in the, she was on her own. She had been married to a German man, no, he was dead years before, and she had one son. 
and my daughter, Sarah, would go down after school and stay with her for a couple of hours just to talk to her. Lovely. And see if she wanted anything. And then, as I said, when they went into secondary school then, I went into uh, real work, well, you know, full-time work, and my first job was uh, Ray Murray's. So all through primary, having been left on your own, you reared them by going out every day cleaning other people's houses. No assistance yeah. from the state or anything? No. Nothing? No, I'm very independent. No, I just did it. I just, my children were my priority. Never went outside the door ever after. Until, well, I, then when I did to work for... And were they, were they kind no. to you in the houses? Uh, most of them, yeah, majority of them were. They were very good. I mean, I had one old lady and she had an ESB bill to pay and she'd say, Phil, uh, can you pay that bill for me? And you don't need to do anything here. And as I said, Mrs. whatever her name was, look, I'll be paying my own bills. That's not a problem. I'd still do whatever you yeah. Know, the yeah. general, you know, bring me in coal for the fire and make you up their bed. You must have been exhausted and, going to bed, though, every night. I don't know about two or three hours sleep. You just had no... Yeah, that's all you could get. Yes, but you know what, Neil? No, when I look back on it, I didn't think about it at the time. It was an achievement. Well, you had to do it. if there were, there, Otherwise, there would be in a cold house with no food. Well, they would. I don't know where they would be, to tell you the truth. No, my priority was feeding the children. And I used to dress make, I used to knit. So I usually made all their clothes. And then it was only heat and food. And, and were, were they aware then, going through life, how, how many sacrifices their man made? They were. Yeah, good. They were. No, more than them, not that much, but yes. Yeah. Well, good. good. It was worth it all. I have my own house, no mortgage. I never remortgaged it, but I paid for everything, and there was no men involved in that deal. Good for you. No wonder you're an independent. No wonder you're an independent woman that wants to buy her own gin and water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. But you know, that man was just. I can't even describe now what that meant to me, Neil. Well, he, he bought you a gin and that got you on the air with me and we ended up sharing a lot of very, very interesting stories and I'm always happy to listen. Thanks so much, Phil. It's lovely to catch up again. Don't be a stranger, all, all right? All right, and thank you very much. Bye, girl. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. Back after bye the break. Bye. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Yeah, I've often said it over and over again. You can talk about the biggest and most beautiful houses and people would always say the Rochestown Road and others would say, say for instance, the Montanati or others might say Sunday's Well or places like that. For me, it's always been the Blackrock Road. That's where the real humdinger houses are the big ones that's where I always thought the most affluence were was massive massive houses with huge big gardens a lot of the time gardens would go right down to the boggy road and places like that massive houses so for me it always was the Black Rock Road and Phil was cleaning and housekeeping and charring as they used to say back in the day and the houses on the Black Rock Road I love stories like that because I just love 
nostalgia. We were talking, I'll come back to that in the morning if you have stories like that to share. But I was talking over the last couple of days about uh, hospitality and hotels and restaurants and pubs and staff and how the staff were treated and customers and that, that there seems to be a bit more of, of a tetchy type of customer knocking around. Got a lot of calls and texts on that. Uh, and then I was wondering, has it to do with the fact that maybe people are feeling that the service has got a little bit poorer, that the staff aren't trained, or there's not enough around? Of course, that could be all COVID related. A lot of them left the industry, didn't go back, got other jobs. Others then perhaps have the, have the pop payment, which is now being reduced. But I then came across the fact that for the second year in a row, Kinsale have cancelled their gourmet weekend. They just miss, that festival actually just misses the last reopening of Ireland on the 22nd of October. So they're about a week off for that. But I was just curious as to how things were because I'm told as well that big problem in Kinsale is not being able to get staff and more to the point, I believe, chefs. So Liam Edwards has Jim Edwards in Kinsale. Liam, good morning. Good morning, how are you doing? How, how much of that have I got wrong? How much of that is accurate or inaccurate, please? It's actually on, 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 on the button, really. Um, yeah, there's a lot of factors kind of put into the scenario and then I think when we get to right to the end it's just been the biggest it's the biggest crisis I think this industry has ever faced staff is it staff yeah I mean the chef shortage I suppose what you touched on has was happening pre-pandemic um, there was a chef shortage but I do think as you said earlier that there is a lot of chefs have left the industry during the lockdown they kind of looked at they looked at the industry and said is it as secure as as it has been you know does it, we're always competing with unsociable hours that's that's a global problem you know Yeah. so I do think chefs left the industry and they have haven't come back so we haven't been able to recruit as well which has been a big factor we we often recruit from abroad obviously during the pandemic we couldn't recruit from abroad because we didn't even know from one month to another month what 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 day we were opening was it outdoor outdoor indoor so we couldn't we couldn't really attract staff from abroad as well and a lot had gone back to their own countries an awful lot of people working in hospitality hadn't they yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people left, left, left the country, you know, I mean, they wanted their home security. When, so, when something like this happened, I suppose the people want to be at home, you know, I suppose they had family at home as well, so they wanted to go home, and I suppose that was probably a catalyst for them to get home sooner rather than later, so I think we definitely lost a lot for that reason. And is there nothing you can do about the hours? I mean, surely there's something you can do about the pay. Yeah, look, I think what, you, what you're seeing then in... in in and around the areas you are seeing the reason they're closing Monday Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays like it's been in our DNA for the last 50 years to open seven days a week we're now looking like we will have to close one day a week most of that I'm, people might argue with this this is to protect the staff I've never asked my staff to do more than 40 hours a week and I would never ask them to do more than 40 hours a week um, because staff retention is key I realise that look as well as we can't recruit staff we need to retain the staff that we have so I need to protect the staff we have you see a reduction in opening hours you see like we've I suppose four years ago we would open at 12 our last orders would be 10 we're now opening at 12 and our last orders is 8.30 okay. mm. um, but are there I mean is it still actual chefs in the kitchen many of the kitchens I mean, I don't know, I'm not going to hone in on any particular establishment but I'm hearing as well that unfortunately it's so bad that there possibly are people cooking food in kitchens that aren't chefs now yeah, I, I'm not aware of that. You know, I mean, I've, I've always, I wouldn't, I would, I would rather close my doors and not have professionals in my kitchen. You know, yeah. and, and I think that would be the most restaurants would operate like that. You know, we're, you know, that will only come back to bite you. You know, I mean, when people come in your, I always say when customers come in your door, they don't, they don't need your stop story. They're, they're paying good money. They want good service and they want good food. And you know, we can't cry on their shoulder and tell them this and that. So I mean, the reasons why restaurants would close Monday and Tuesdays means that they're fully staffed in for a Wednesday. That 
they're not understaffed on a Wednesday, so they're, they're, they're providing a, a full service to any paying customer. Yeah, I know. So. You're very reliant on students, though, who are getting pop as well, you see. Yeah, I suppose not as much in Kinsale, but I suppose what we're seeing here now is, like, I will tell you, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have one over 18 person come into me during the summer looking for a job. No one looking for work? Nobody, nobody over the age of and 18. And would they normally? Yes, yes. Yes, maybe, and I mean, I suppose not everybody was on the, the pub payment and maybe it was just kids who just, who were locked down for the last 18 months, just wanted to have a good summer, you know, don't blame them for that either, you know, you're only young once. But yeah, and I will say, what I will say as well, I think the 17 year olds that did come into our establishment and a lot of restaurants have commented on this, they were great staff. They might have been inexperienced, but there was a great willingness to work. I don't know, was it, did they come out of COVID with just a willingness to socialise? I don't know. They were a great bunch of staff anyway, so we were lucky that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's, 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 it's heading, it's just spiralling. It's, it's getting worse and worse. I don't know what the answer is, to be quite honest. What's getting worse, though? Staff? The staff situation. The staff situation. is it's, Like, we have another issue here in Kinsale is that the cost of renting Kinsale, the cost of um, renting a room in Kinsale is just unreal, you know. So, um, yeah, so, like, trying to attract staff into Kinsale without accommodation is another issue, you know. So, it's, Is there no availability or something? Shortage? absolutely no availability. There's absolutely nothing in Kinsale. And the establishments like yourself for the White Lady, man, Friday, Actons, the Trident, Bullman, Fishy yeah. Fishy, Blue Haven, they're just some that come to the top of my head. You can't provide accommodation with the job, no? Well, we do. Um, we have um, rooms upstairs. We do rooms upstairs. I actually had two staff for the whole summer in one of those guest rooms. I had two staff. I accommodated two staff in my rooms for the whole summer because they couldn't find uh, accommodation and Isn't I needed amazing? staff. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of that is going on at the moment. So staff what would houses. attract staff back? Look, I suppose I love this industry and I never apologise. I think everybody in their life should work in this industry for, for, some, for some time. It's a, it's a great life skill, you know. Um, what will attract staff back? Short term, look, we need, we need to kind of get to the, the students who are not going through the third level education and maybe are looking for something else to do. You know, we lost CERT 30 years ago, which is an absolute scandalous situation. We have no national training body in this government, have no national training body, and tourism, they say, is one of the biggest industries. Yet we have nowhere to tra- train people in hospitality. We have nowhere to train chefs, no proper training body. Like, somewhere like France would have would have hundreds. That's you know, bizarre. We, we, don't, we don't have one, you know, which is, which is an oversight, which is a massive oversight, you know. So is you the know? Gourmet Festival gone now for the second year? <laughs> It's gone for the second year, yeah. You were, we were a week out, you know, but I, even, at, even I think it, with, with the situation, I think we were all head down for the summer, so I, I don't think we would have been able to kind of host it anyway, but it would have been, it would have been a hard, hard task anyway, you know. Uh, on the basis of staffing, is it? Well, that would have been one of the major factors, you know. And it, you know, time management was a, a big key. And, you know, no, these festivals don't happen just on the day, you know. There's a lot of work goes into these festivals and, you know, there's a, a lot of work needed by the, by the chefs as well because it was, it, was, it was a food festival as such, you know. So a, a lot of brains put together with the chefs and they would, they would be meeting normally in May, June, coming up with ideas for yeah. this festival. So yeah. obviously that wouldn't have happened anyway. Can I ask you a question? I went to ask people this before, but, you know, with, with people in, in restaurants and hotels and, and all of the produce and, and you know, stock and everything were, were suppliers good about that did they take things back and, and what have you yeah I'd say 90% of suppliers actually were, were understanding you know I, I think I think we were, we were all in it together really as I said from the start but I do feel with the restaurant industry that they, they were I think there was a there was a general understanding of you know that 
the, the situation was out of our control and they did work with us, you know, and I do think that they did most, 90% of the suppliers, you know, they, they, they understood the, the payments. They understood they stalled the payments and, you know, we kind of, when we got back together, you know, we, we looked after each other, you know, and it, again, they have to look at the bigger picture here, you know. I mean, we're always going to come out of it at some stage, you know, so I do think, you know, anything less than looking after us would have been short-sighted and they would have lost their like, business, maybe. Yeah, like we don't have tipping in Ireland, so it's not a possibility of, you know, you, you can't match. Uh, you know, a lot of people went to work in Lidl and went to look work in Aldi and, and yeah. supermarkets and stuff. You can't match that kind of pace, you can't. Um, can you? you? You you can. You, I mean, you you don't you like you don't like, like this industry is very labour intensive. You you know that yourself. You know. So yeah. I mean, this is why maybe the wages aren't as we can't compete with a lot of other industries because you know. And any like in the depths of winter, I would still need eight staff, nine staff to open my premises. You know, um, and I mightn't get my first customer till one o'clock, and I might get my last customer at seven. And you know, and that's the way the industry is. So you have to you have to do that. But I, I do. I mean, there is a there is a tipping culture in Ireland. Don't get me wrong. The Irish are very good to tip, so um, and that is all that is all given to staff. You know, hundred percent given to staff. You know, so I, I know the Americans are deemed as the biggest tippers, but the Irish, let me tell you, they are very good tippers. When they get the good service and get the good food, they will tip you. And do you, you're not finding them cranky. We were talking a lot about cranky customers yesterday. No, um, look, I felt sorry for some people. You know, um, because. At times when a lot of restaurants were closed and there was a the high volume of people in Kinsale, there wasn't enough bums and seats for the, for the amount of people that were in, in there. So my advice was always like if you, had to, if you were staying in a hotel, you had to book your restaurant, you had to book your swimming pool, you had to book your breakfast. Why didn't you book your restaurant? Why didn't you know you should have booked your restaurant in advance? You know, because it was out of our control, really, at times. You know, we, we couldn't open our premises fully because of the staff shortage. So that was a lot of places as well, you know. So, yeah, so they, maybe they were, when, they were, when they came to the fourth or fifth restaurant and they were saying there was no room, no room, no room, maybe they were getting a little bit irate at that. Yeah, time. I know. But Chris actually is suggesting here by text that if you want to bring in staff from overseas, that the government should initiate perhaps a two to three year tax exemption for anyone coming in from overseas to work in hospitality. <laughs> what do you think yeah. of that? Come to <laughs> well, Ireland and work tax-free for three years. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think there's a bit of a segregation there, but so, I will tell you, like, if uh, I was to start applying for a chef now, the whole process would take me 18 weeks and it would cost me 2,000 euros. 18 yeah. weeks. Yeah, but so what choice do you have? I have no choice, but at the moment... Look, at the moment, I mean, COVID is still an issue, like, you know, so, I mean, people kind of moving, moving to new countries, looking for jobs, is, is, we're probably just not there yet, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's another factor that we have to build in, you know, but, right. yeah, it yeah, we have no is. choice, okay. that's where we'll have to go immediately, but. But in spite of everything else, Kinsale is still open for business? It's still open for business, yes, yes, and my advice would be maybe definitely in the weekends before you come to Kinsale. Book, book your restaurant in advance. You're still doing those super steaks there? We're still, yeah, we're still steak and seafood, so, yeah, we're still, our 50 year in business this year, so I think our 50 year anniversary will come up in two weeks, so. All right, well. <laughs> we'll, we'll do something. All right, well, let me know what you're doing for that event, yeah. and uh, okay. happy 50th anniversary. Cheers, Liam. Okay. Take Thank care. Thank you very much. As Liam Edwards at Jim Edwards in Kinsale. Worth a visit if you've never been. Lines are open at one 104 106 Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Oh, those nuns were fierce cute. They were always one step ahead of the posse. Anne went to St. Al's School in Carrick Tool. Anne, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Was that good nuns? That yes. was nuns, was it? Oh, it was, yes, the poor servants of the mother of God. Uh, and that was 1979, the year of your Debs. 
Yes. Okay. Yes. So you all traipsed up from Carrigtool up to the city, is it? We were up in the South Melendian period. And um, it was a beautiful evening, fabulous, all together, everything going brilliant. Now, we had been warned about uh, the amount of alcohol that we were not to, you know, we were ladies and we were representing the school and all of this. So, yeah, of course, off we went. But I hear that the year before, um, it left a lot to be desired, is it? Yes. Well, so we were told they didn't hit the standards of the the nuns. The girls. Yes. As a result, we were told that... um, Alcohol, you know, we were not to overdo it and la la la. But ours was a Debs and a past pupils reunion. So the nuns, unknown to anyone, had gone around to Clancy's and all around all the, the neighbouring uh, streets and did all the establishments and told them that our Debs was on on such and such a night, Friday night, and that nobody in a long dress or a tux was to be served. So the nuns went to all of the pubs surrounding the Imperial? Yes. yes. Clancy's. Yes. Canties, Conan's, all these kind of places. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Told them not so, to serve you. Yes. So when the past pupils, we were probably naive and we w- we didn't go for pre-drinks. We didn't. Um, God love us, we didn't. But the past pupils, of course, would have, you know, making a night of it. Yeah. And, but they failed to get drink. Because when they came into the hotel, it was the kind of, the case of, we weren't served anywhere. We were told, asked, you know, no, you're not getting served. Not they getting went to the different pubs, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the nuns had beaten to it. <laughs> oh, my God. We had a great night. We had a great night. We had a great night. And what and happened we, after the night then? Did you go anywhere? Yeah, we came home to, to houses. People had parties. Parents organised parties in their houses. But was it a good night in spite of all of that? It was a fantastic night because we're country girls. We were all 16, 17 years of age. We wouldn't have been the city slickers now. Um, <coughs> and to us, it was a great night. But the nuns went to the Debs, did they? All the teachers and the nuns would go to the Debs as well. We were presented with little tokens and we were all called up individually and everything. There was a, it was it was kind of a presentation night as well, you know. But it was no, but we would have had good relationship with with the nuns. Ah, yeah, but you can't let loose if you're having a bop or want to have a drink or something or give a guy a snog with a nun watching. Well, you see, that was the thing as well because ours would have been October, November, that kind of way of our leaving search year. So we were all back to school on Monday. So oh, I wonder what the I wonder what the the year before did. They must have misbehaved. They, so, huh? they just had one or two too many. You know, maybe one of the... But we, some of us, some of the girls had been noggins in the bag and everything, you know. But there was nothing to be visible. You know, we were all drinking liquid uh, minerals on the table. As far as I, know. I know what you're saying. I like it. I like yeah. it. All right. Great. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. sharing that. Cheers. Take care. Okay, Bye. Uh, just on a bit of nostalgia, I told you that Jim McKeown wrote a beautiful piece, actually, on the early morning pubs in Cork. And it's as much about the early morning pubs as it is about Cork in the mid-70s. And he talks about how life has changed. He said, the mid-70s, Cork City was as intimate as any Irish village, yet it boasted 33 early morning pubs. They opened at 7 a.m six mornings a week and each one bulging at the seams had its own unique identity and colour. They seemed to survive in clusters and were plastered all over the inner city. Someone once said if you had a big blanket you'd cover the lot of them. Clientele came from all walks of life and social status was non-existent in the early morning houses. Generally dockers were the main customers because of the city's two rivers which delighted and sometimes confused visitors and the huge dockland area was at the mouth of one of the finest harbours in the world. But there were night workers from the post office, the factories in the marina, especially Fords and Dunlops and the building trade workers craving a quick cure for a sick head. 
all Cork life was there. The pillars of society, complete with the Irish Times and pinstripe smiles. Thirsty oil rig workers after a long abstinence and an occasional lady of the night. These hostelries were an integral part of life back then. They filled a void, served a cause and in a way were a necessary evil. Originally they were introduced to cater for the workers on the early and irregular ship arrivals or the farmers and the market gardeners who travelled long journeys to deliver their produce. Most of them had certain rituals, especially on a Monday morning when there could be a queue outside waiting. Doors would open at seven sharp. Impatient punters quickly polished off the first few drinks by eight. The headset cleared. Some would leave, but most, having developed a lip, would stay. Some canny barmen would casually play a naughty TV tape as an enticing sprat to hook the undecided. Then the cards appeared, and finally when the lunch boxes were opened, the sandwiches passed around, and the singing began. Any thought of work had flown out the window. Members of the local show bands would often arrive after a long journey from up the country and an impromptu session would begin. Most of these exemption pubs were close to the docks, but one, Con's American Bar, was city centre. Maybe this was meant to nurture the workers at the nearby English market. And then he goes on to introduce us to all of the different early morning pubs and he says, walk up George's Quay, the Anchor Bar, then on to the Beamish Brewery Gates, to Cots, and over to the Washington Inn and the Raven, and on to the Colcate, to Clifford's, the famous Roundy House, Cotts, O'Connor's, Dennehy's, the Market Bar, across the river to the Haven. Then it's a stroll to the popular Ivy Leary, the Oriental, the Ferry Boat, around the corner to O'Hearns, across the river again to the Port Bar, the Marina, the Idle Buchel, and the Sextant on the Docks. Facing the city are four together, Heafies, the Black Swan, the Riverview and the Donkey's Ears. So-called because the barman, when asked if he'd seen someone, usually replied that he hadn't seen them in Donkey's Ears. Over time, the bar became known as Donkey's Ears. Cross the bridge at Parnell Place to Toomey's, the Welcome Inn, the Ivy Leaf, the Queen's Bar and on the corner the Traveller's Rest at the bus station. This popular pub was once a haven for travellers and bus workers. We cross the river again to the final cluster of pubs on Patrick's Quay in the shadow of the sorting office. The Tusker Bar, Travers, the Green Bough and the Innisfallen. <clears throat> Most of these pubs are no more, either gone out of business or demolished. Only two still open early. The Welcome Inn and the Riverview, now known as Charlie's. And Cork itself has moved on. It's a sprawling European city. As I pass the present roundy house in Raven, I'm reminded of Paris as the cosmopolitan clientele relax outside, sipping wine and coffee. They are a fading reminder of old Cork, and when I close my eyes, I feel a certain sadness, and I see the ghosts, the colour, and the innocent divilment of those long-gone days. The lanes are gone, the characters are gone, and I wonder to myself if progress is really actually going backwards. Yes, indeed, life has certainly changed. That's Jim McKeown and a beautiful piece he wrote there recently on the 33 early morning pubs on Lee side way back in the day. Our lines will stay open at one 104 106 You can text 868 106 I'm still keen to find the cheapest pint in Cork, incidentally. See if we can beat that pub in Kerry that's selling stout at 390. So text on that. Text 868 106 Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.